Hell in the Cell is the most dangerous match in the history of our industry. Inside of that steel cage, it could be one of the most career-ending environments that two athletes could possibly be in. There's not a Hell in a Cell that I can remember broadcasting where there weren't casualties. People have asked me, do I know what I'm getting myself into? And the simple answer to that is no, I don't. But I know there will be pain. I know there will be blood. I just don't care. Batista had better be prepared to lay his life on the line because I will pull the trigger. Only one of us is walking out with that title. This will be the most devastating thing Batista goes through in his career. Triple H has taught me a lot, but one thing I've got to teach Hunter, and never lock an animal in a cage. I will walk into that cell knowing full well what I have to do, and I will show him why I've ended careers. You are gonna go face to face with the devil himself. I'm gonna kick the devil's ass! Hey, I'll tell you what, Tiki, though. If it was shuffleboard... Oh, oh my God. I, I think I think I might be uh, I might be willing to, to bet on that becoming our national sport if, uh, if more people knew about it. Matt, have you ever played shuffleboard? I have never played shuffleboard in my life. Well, nor to me and Tinky until Saturday. My <laughs> God, mate. Oh, my God. What a game. Change what your life, by the sounds of it. It's, it's oh, like... I- it's like a combination of curling and bowls all, all on a little board. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, I like bowls. Uh, that's one of the great hours of my life. <laughs> Playing that. And that included two of the party almost getting into a fight. So that just shows you how... Yeah. Uh, well, well that's because you were trying to make one of them see sense. I just carried on playing. <laughs> <laughs>
Hello and welcome once again to the Random Wrestling Review. I'm Ben Spindler and today we have vengeance on our mind as we travel back to a slightly simpler, more innocent time before the economic crash, austerity, Brexit, Trump, COVID, the war in Ukraine and the concept of a Winter World Cup to 2005 for that year's Vengeance pay-per-view. Joining me today is Old Man. Hello. I, I forgot to say your actual real name for the second time, uh, I believe. That's the second time I've done that. That's right, don't worry. To be honest, I think most people would probably, if I met them on the street, they'd go, hello, Old Man. That's before they even know you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, look at this old guy. <laughs> hey, man, I'm 38. <laughs> and also we have Matt Roberts today. How are you doing, Matt? Young gentleman, I'm good. How are we all, are we all doing? Not bad. Now, you've had, a, you've had a haircut, so you look even more like John Cena when you do your little salute. <laughs> I was going to get it even shorter as well, so I'm going to have to get one of his t-shirts or something and wear it on the next show. Definitely. Now, before we get deep down and dirty into the particulars of this show, let me just remind you, as always, to follow us on our social media platforms at UK, pretty much everywhere. Now, this week, we're starting, as always, with a little topic, and it's not really a little one this week because it's a pretty big one. It's probably about the biggest thing going in wrestling right now. It's Val Venus making a comeback. <laughs> <laughs> Funny you should say that. No, but uh, but the second big biggest thing in wrestling right now is what's going on in the WWE and the management of the company. Now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to read out a little something that was on one of these. There are about a billion facebook pages out there reporting on wrestling news and all they're doing is reporting on what other people have said so therefore i'm not going to tell you the name of this facebook page i'm just going to read out what they've written because they're talking about the stuff that fightful have reported who are actually a decent wrestling media outlet so here we go wwe made their staff aware of the wall street journal article which i uh, was talking about vince mcmahon and uh, an investigation that the board of directors of the wwe are doing into him and issued an internal email to many of their staff saying the wall street journal has published a report about WWE with allegations that we and our board of directors take seriously. We are cooperating fully with the independent investigation initiated by our board of directors. Sources that Fightful has spoken to even indicated that the relationship between Vince McMahon and the paralegal was suspected by many in the company and indicated that she was given a substantial promotion around the time of the April 2021 WWE cuts. Fightful was told specifically she was promoted from John Laurinaitis' assistant to a director role that spring. Fightful also asked for clarity of Nia Jax's tweet back on April 30th about the higher-ups and blackmail. There was no mention of this from WWE reps or higher-ups and Jax was dismissed as bitter. This would have been after the investigation was underway. For those asking if Stephanie McMahon's absence is tied to this, which is before Stephanie was brought back in as the interim CEO, or if she had knowledge of it, she's on the company board and would have been made aware of the investigation as would Triple H and Nick Khan. There was immediate speculation that someone in the company intentionally leaked the information. John Laurinaitis was given back the spot as head of talent relations in 2021 and immediately Fightful heard from female talent who expressed frustration and displeasure with the move, completely separate from his hiring practices, which many of the women we spoke to felt were archaic. One followed up today on the condition of anonymity and said, I'd rather get all my shit sent to me in a trash bag when I get fired than have to deal with him and neither are good options. Immediately, those that Fightful spoke to in WWE on the condition of anonymity agreed with earlier 
assumptions that this is the biggest threat to Vince McMahon's power in WWE since the steroid trial nearly three decades ago. The same sources Fightful spoke with expected John Laurinaitis to be replaced before all is said and done. I believe he now has been uh, been booted out of his role since this was written. And one speculated that he's being set up as the latest fall guy for Vince. His turn in line was coming. Another male wrestler who was active in the 2000s and 2010s said that there had long been rumours of John Laurinaitis's misconduct. A former writer said it was an open suspicion in the mid-2000s. One former office employee said they believe this will be a domino effect and believes Vince McMahon will fight hard to stay but doesn't see a situation in which Laurinaitis doesn't resign. Now, there's all kinds of allegations filed about, so I don't want to talk about the allegations because I don't think we're in a position to do so. What I want to talk about is something that this has all raised, which is the prospect of a WWE-less and pro wrestling less Vince McMahon because obviously even myself old man and Tom we've been watching for roughly 30 years give or take a few years Matt slightly less but still significantly large amount of your life and all of those years Vince McMahon has been top of the WWE he's been the head supremo of WWE and therefore really the head of the entire industry so I guess the question is what do we make of the prospect of no Vince McMahon as the head of WWE either from a creative perspective that he currently is at the moment or a indeed as the chairman of the company why don't we start with you matt oh, what a way to kick off this week um <laughs> that's such a loaded question and i'm um, do you know what? I'm, I'm gonna do my very best to try and break that down i mean l- let's have a look at it in terms of from a creative standpoint now from a creative standpoint i think at this stage in the game i think a lot of people would possibly agree with the assumption that vince is not quite on top of his game creative as he once was I don't think that's too controversial to say. I think a lot of people would agree with that point. So in terms of the creative aspect of it, that there's been a massive shakeup needed for so long now that absolutely that's a fantastic idea. No issues with that whatsoever. That being said, the business aspect of it is something that does concern me. Now, whether or not it'll be different or whether or not things will be better or worse, we we truly don't know is the honest answer business-wise until he is completely gone and there is somebody else taking over the company. But like him or not, he's made the company what it is today, which is, in terms of as a business, is an absolute powerhouse. There can be absolutely no denying that. Nobody can deny how big WWE really is and that a lot of that has to do with Vince McMahon's leadership. So I'm not convinced, or at least not yet anyway, that it could be a good or a bad thing. I, I I really don't know. I'm, I I really wouldn't be able to say at the moment. I'm not sure what you guys think. Oh, man, why don't you kick in here? So if we're talking about the creative, I think that part of the problem with the creative is that everything has been done before. And that's not at all to go against what you said, Matt, because I completely agree with you. I think there seems to be a, a fear to go away from that, where they like, right, this has worked. This has made us a multi-billion dollar company or a billion dollar company, whatever it is. So they're very safe in that. And that isn't enough to engage a 38-year-old hardened wrestling fan like me to watch it every week or watch every pay-per-view even. So I think you're 100% right, Matt. I think the thought of Vince McMahon not being involved regardless of whether these things that are alleged to have gone on have gone on if he were to remove himself or be removed after the investigation i think we might see 
not seismic changes, but I think we see quite large changes, I think, in how they present certain people, I think. And we'll talk about the show that we're covering later on today. But something that struck me was how performers were portrayed very, very, very differently. They each had very defined characters. It's something like you talked about, Tinky, with what wrestlers wear and also how they act and how they wrestle. There's no real characters anymore, which is why people like The New Day are so popular because they're so different why when Brock Lesnar started wearing the old cowboy hat people went nuts for it was because it was something completely different and something from Lesnar in particular they just wouldn't expect and I think that you might get a bit more of that if Vince McMahon was to walk away so my perspective is a little bit little bit similar but kind of also a little bit contradictory so I do agree with you old man they, they've got very safe and it's part of what I said before where they've got so polished at doing what they do mm. so efficient at doing it that you know as a viewer as a long time viewer you know what's coming next you know what's happening and not, I'm not talking about what's happening in terms of a screw screwy finish or or somebody screwing someone over or a turn or anything like that. I'm not talking about those things, but I'm just talking about, you know, when the match ends, you'll get a little highlights package, then they'll go off to break and then you'll come back. There'll be something backstage. You you know, this is going to happen. You, you're ri- the rhythm of the show is so comfortable that it is almost lulls you into sleep because you're like, this is just so there's nothing jolting me awake. There's nothing kind of making me go, oh, damn, what, what happened there? But I actually worry about the opposite to what you worry, Matt. So I don't think the business is going to have any problem being fine without Vince McMahon. It's a business. Ultimately, it's a large media conglomerate with all kinds of content that they create and that has marketing division, has probably probably will be purified in some way by Vince McMahon going because a lot of the practices that they have done, which have been questionable over the years, will likely disappear or at least start to disappear with him going. It's the creative side of it that I worry about more because whilst I find the creative really dull and really safe, Vince McMahon is the last person really in the business that still knows how to book in an old school fashion still understands the deep, dark magic secrets of how to book wrestling, how to book stars, how to create stars, how to build to a big occasion, how to, even in the situation where they're going to find themselves now, where they've got a lot of guys who are injured and a lot of guys who are kind of out on the, uh, on the sidelines and they've not been able to create stars so much over the last few years, will still find a way to promote shows that draw big crowds and that convince people that they are a big deal. You know, he's going to put a SummerSlam another match between Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. Now, as much as we might roll our eyes at that prospect, they will find a way to make that seem like a big deal. He does this in a way that I don't think anybody else in the business has proven to me they're capable of doing. So, you know, for example, I'll take Tony Khan as an example, because obviously he's the head of AEW. There's nothing that qualifies Tony Khan to be a booker. He just has a lot of money. That's it. So he's got a load of money so he can just play out his fantasies. For me, it's the same thing as CM Punk trying to be a UFC fighter. There was nothing that said he could be a UFC fighter. Don't get me wrong. He probably had done MMA in his spare time, but thousands of people do that all over the all over the world. There was nothing to say that he could be a UFC level fighter. And indeed, he proved not to be a UFC level fighter because it's actually very, very difficult to do that. There is an elite group of athletes who are capable of doing that. Wrestling booking is similar. It's not something that you can just do. You can just start doing and be fine at it. And there's nothing that qualifies Tony Khan to be able to do it. He's not spent any time underneath learning from people who've done it before. And that's largely because there aren't that many people who have done it before at that national level or even a major level, you know, a, a level where you could draw 20,000 people to, a, to a, an arena somewhere because they've all gone. They've all either died or they've left the business or they're kind of no longer maybe like, for example, 
or <laughs> people like Jim Ross or Jim Cornette have been moved to the sidelines or are doing Jim Ross is doing more of a peripheral role these days. So there aren't that many people out there who have that understanding, that innate ability to do this job there are people who've done it in smaller companies in ring of honor and impact places in the uk and even you know some places uh, in america but there's there's nobody out there that has done this kind of booking at this level uh anywhere really in the business and so i actually worry about it because it's kind of the last embers of that understanding that innate understanding of how to do this that built-in decades worth of experience of doing this stuff and getting those stars over so even though i actually believe it desperately needs a shake-up creativity creatively Vince McMahon's ultimate presence is almost a safeguard against losing those things entirely which are still I think really important because they're the fundamentals of which wrestling is built on and just is, are not being replicated in many places at the moment yeah because the um the other pair of hands that people I think would say would be Triple H wouldn't it because he is the logical next in line wrestled for what's it 20 odd years obviously booked NXT but we've watched NXT shows on here and there are they're quite intense viewing and to do that for five hours a week with your main roster and then every month do another three hours maybe four hours if there's a big pay-per-view it's a big ask isn't it to keep also to keep it fresh and I think that's what that's where the trouble has been but also where the trouble is because whoever were to hypothetically take over from the booking would still have to make people Mm. and that's where the trouble is you know who I thought of when you were talking then Tinky because I know he's now in a not inconsiderable position of power, Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> Genuinely as well. I well, think. no, he's, he's, he's one of the backstage uh, members yeah. of their roster staff, and I guess he's had some experience, but I would um, caution them against doing that if I was them. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine that? He's just like, yeah, so I was thinking that um, I'd meet myself while champions. Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> Sorry, Je- Jeff, you're like 50 summer. Yeah, but. I mean, someone's got a great with Lesnar, haven't they? <laughs> and Reigns <laughs> in the same match, probably. Yeah. The other thing about that is that, funny, I remember having this conversation about six, seven years ago when there was people talking about Triple H potentially they're going to influence a man because NXT was just becoming massive. It was about 2015 when the likes of Bailey, Sasha Banks and, and Finn Balor and all them guys were on the roster. And I always at the time was cautioning against getting too excited about that too because actually I think that, forget what I was saying about star making, this is less about that and more about the fact that when you give somebody then the pressure to maintain an audience of 2.5 million every single week, which is ultimately what the, the shareholders of WWE demand, and they demand a certain amount of profitability with that, comes a compromise of your creative instinct. And Triple H was allowed to effectively do what he wanted on NXT because it was just on the network. It wasn't, you know, at the time when, it, when we were talking about this, it was just on the network. They had four specials a year. Yes, they sold big big you know attendance figures for like some of their some of their shows but this was early days as well and in, even after the early days of that they only really did it in the big markets and they only did it three or four times a year and they only really did it they didn't it wasn't like they were hitting the same market over and over again which is effectively what WWE is doing it's like a 52 week touring show so you know it's a whole different ball game when you're talking on that level and so I just even that I'm kind of like 
you know, it's, it's not quite the same. And the other concern about this is that all of the wrestlers as well have been brought up under a specific system. So all of the wrestlers have even been trained, either been trained by WWE themselves through their development territory or through other indie talents. Very few of them have been trained by, you know, Triple H, for example, being trained by Killer Kowalski or Mick Foley being trained by Dominic DiNucci. You know, people who had really long tenures within the business wrestling in all different territories going all over the, the world. Now, the, the field of expertise for training wrestlers even that is is kind of much narrower than it once was and the styles that are being trained are very very close much more aligned to 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 each other than they would have been in the past so all of these kind of old school elements that were vital for the business to survive have gradually been forgotten about or sucked out of the business and i think we will find pretty quickly that those things are key to its survival do you know what it's for me one of the main things that could be and just sort of spitball an idea here now and it's it's an idea that, that i've mentioned in the past and i will continue to say it until it happens which may never happen but i'll continue to do it anyway i, I still think one of the best things that could be done for everybody involved is an off season I, I, to this, I just think it's such a good idea. And I just think the the ignorance of just not remotely accepting it and just saying, well, we work, you know, 52 weeks a year. We, you know, we work 300 plus days a year and that's it. And I just think that's such a bad idea because the excitement that could be generated by doing an off season, I think would be massive. You, you know, you, you look at any sort of TV series and, you know, I, you, know you know, they say, eventually all good things must come to an end the, the series ends it usually peaks and then by the time the next series comes around you're massively looking forward to it so i just think that's an idea that would massively revitalize pretty much everybody there not not just the wrestlers but staff you know the the writers from everybody you know the, the guy setting up the ring everybody it would potentially revitalize everyone so i'm going to continue continue to say off season needs to happen it's, it's certainly one idea and people have been kicking it around for quite some time. I don't disagree with it. I guess that maybe the reason why WWE haven't even slightly wanted to entertain it is that I think one of their USPs is that they provide stacks of content all year round. It is a unique selling point of WWE's that nobody really else has. All other sports, as you say, have that off-season. Dramas and comedies have their, they stop, they make their, they have their breaks. WWE doesn't break. And that, I think, is part of what, why they've been able to command such big television rights for their for their, their shows. Because the, those channels know they're going to get five hours of content every single week, regardless of whether it's Christmas week, New Year's week, middle of summer, whatever, they're going to get it. So I understand why that would be appealing. And I think it probably would be very good for creative but i think there's a there's a marketing or business element to it which is what's stopping it from happening i, I think they could still do it see to be honest because like you know imagine let's just you know say sake of argument you know after wrestlemania you know, they, they announced like there's going to be a draft a couple of months later that they could tape shows from the performance center or something like that, like weeks in advance of like, with like a sporting feel. Like, you know, we, we've sort of talked about this idea a bit before uh, of doing like a draft special, you know, mm -hmm. focusing on, on certain wrestlers and things like that. You know, like this is coming, you know, this person's preparing to make their return and this is where we last left them off. And I just think they can tape anything they want from anywhere in the world at this point. I definitely think they can do it. If they, if they put their minds to it. You know, one way I think they could do it and and everyone would get the best of every world is if they just they keep the roster split and then have each 
brand off for three months, but different three months. So basically, maybe straight after WrestleMania, Raw's off for three months, SmackDown carries on. Then straight after that three-month three period, SmackDown's off for three months and Raw carries on. And basically, you've always got WWE television on. You give half your roster uh, uh, three months off, which they desperately need to heal up injuries and whatnot and you know spend some time with their families and whatnot. And, and on top of all of that, you give the writers on those shows also a chance to kind of rejuvenate themselves, come up with new ideas. So I think that was would be one way of kind of compromising on both sides of the fence there. I like the idea of an off-season, but I like the, the way that you just said to Geek. So I was just going to come in and say, problem is, is people forget, who me? It's like, if there's a TV show that you really like, and then it's not on for three months, we'll probably guarantee within a month and a half I've forgotten about it. Like, I'll just be like, someone will be like, oh, so-and-so comes back next week. I'll be like, what? Not all that show you loved? Do you remember? It was only two months ago. <laughs> no, no, camera, no, I'm not watching it. Can't be bothered. And also, Tinky, I take take exception to what you said. Nowhere else offers five hours of TV a week all year round. Tell you who does, mate. Bradley Walsh in the chase. <laughs> Isn't it being cancelled? Give over. I'm pretty they sure. That. I'm pretty sure I saw that it's ending. No. I may be wrong. I may be wrong, but <laughs> I'm sure I saw it. I, I was going to say like Coronation Street or something. Well, EastEnders and Garnet Street, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. They are similar. And they, hey, they, regardless of what you think of them personally, they are very appealing to television producers because they are all year round. There's loads of content and it's relatively cheap. That's the reason why wrestling has always been popular with television executives or some television executives. It's been less so in the last 20, 30 years. But prior to that, when the birth of like regional cable television, that was huge in America. And that was a huge part of it. It was cheap and it was all year round. There's one other thing, though, uh, about that that I was thinking about is that... I think wrestling is a habit. So I, for te- about 10 years, was a season thing older at Bristol Rovers. And it was very hard to stop doing it. But once I stopped doing it, it was then exceptionally hard to start going again, even just occasionally. Wrestling is the same. You stop watching it. It's very hard to stop watching it because you're on that cycle of like, oh, yeah, you know, I might see something good, even if you haven't seen anything good for weeks and weeks. I might see something good this week. And plus, I, I follow it now. It's just the thing I do. And then you stop, even though it's really hard, you eventually stop. And then it's impossible to start watching it again. I couldn't begin to start watching Raw again weekly. There's absolutely no chance. And I, so I think that's another reason is that it becomes a habit. And I think if you break people's habit, it is harder to get them to come back. It's the drug, isn't it? If you've got that little drip every week going inside you, then you're good to go, aren't you? But the minute you take it away, you get the old withdrawal you get a bit sad about to go to rehab hopefully not hopefully you're not that obsessed with it and then yeah you don't want any part of it that's what I'm 100% like like I used to watch every pay-per-view I haven't watched Raw Weekly for oh, decades I don't think but every pay-per-view I used to and it would be the Monday after it was on I'd always watch it even watch it on the evening on the Monday evening and then one time I didn't do it and then I think I missed about seven months of pay-per-views until Mania came round no, the rumble would have been. Come on, rumble, gotta be the rumble. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, come on, right? Just gonna flog myself a minute. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you not know, to, to counter that though? What, what I would say is that um, here's an example for you: Game of Thrones. I'm probably one of the most obsessed persons or people <laughs> that you'll meet in terms of watching Game of Thrones. Right? When that show came back, my world stopped. Sad, whatever. But when that show came back on TV, I didn't give a monkey's what the hell I was doing or what I was talking about. Game of Thrones is life. That is how it worked when that came back on. It went away after the end of a season. I was sad. I continued to wait every day for my fix of Westeros once again. And then it came back. And I was happy as hell once again. So as soon as it goes away, I missed it. 
And the second it came back, I was welcome for its return. I'll make a further counter to that, though. Firstly, Game of Thrones, regardless of what anyone personally thinks about it, Game of Thrones is one of the most highly rated television shows of all time in terms of the critical evaluation of it. WWE is not one of the greatest critical thing, uh, you know, creative <laughs> things of all time. Secondly, that show was based on a series of books where the storytelling is incredible. And the storytelling in WWE isn't incredible. It's certainly not incredible enough to bring back fans after three months of going, oh, I haven't watched it, to be like, oh, I must watch it now because I can't wait to see all these things finally pay off. Because that's not what WWE is about. They're not about long-term payoffs. So I understand what you're saying, but I think we're talking about entirely different ball game here. Let's- I, 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 no one talks about a ball game. It's not. It's not <laughs> that, that's not what he meant by Game of Thrones. Ah, I see. Sorry, I thought it was a new sport that had come out. Right, we've spent more than enough time on this subject, and we have a full-on pay-per-view to get ourselves through. It is Vengeance oh! 2005. Yeah, apologies for that, old man, but it is happening. Vengeance 2005. Now, expectations. Let's start with our expectations. And I will start with mine, because I've actually written them down this week. I thought, you know what, before I start watching this, I'm going to write them down, because if I don't, I'll forget. And my written notes are here, not a clue. 2005 doesn't conjure any imagery of anything whatsoever for me and i was thinking about this i was like only in retrospect i think actually it was the year of one night stand 2005 which we've watched and reviewed for this podcast and therefore that was the only vision i've got of it but if i remove that which i've artificially watched because of this podcast there's literally nothing else Uh, so i was thinking right 2006 ray mysterio wins the royal rumble you know that that's synonymous for me 2011 it's the pipe bomb promo 2013 daniel bryan beats john cena at SummerSlam. 2014 wrestlemania 30 you know all these different years i can name like i it would conjure an image in 2005 i was like got nothing i got literally nothing i cannot imagine anything that happened and i realized it was because it's my last year of university basically 2005 that's not to say that i went to university and concentrated on my studies lots is actually to say that i was drinking more and going out more than ever during that that year and had no time for pro wrestling so 2005 legitimately conjures nothing for me so i was like i don't know what's going to come up on this show i know what the main event is because it's clear from the signage on the uh, little uh, little thumbnail on the wwe network what's coming up but other than that no clue whatsoever. So that's my expectations. Oh, man. For me, this was WrestleMania 21. A WrestleMania not known to be the best, especially, and this is my main, my abiding memory of this time, quite a poor main event scene at this time is what I remember. And a main event scene that would hang around for quite a long time as well. So I was expecting this to be, by average, and really quite or in places when I pressed play. Obviously, open eyes, open legs, Tinky. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was expecting buying average with support. I wasn't expecting a whole lot of good, expecting even less great. What did you think, Matt? See, now that's very interesting because, believe it or not, I'm the polar opposite. Of course, of course I believe it. You're always the polar opposite. <laughs> you are the polar bear. That's what you are. <laughs> The polar bear. I like that. I should change that to my Twitter handle at the polar bear. <laughs> this was probably my peak wrestling enjoyment, if I'm honest. I vividly remember this year, literally as if it was yesterday. My expectations for this show were very high because I remember almost exactly what was on it. There was maybe one or two things that came up that surprised me that I forgot about. Um, But then as they carried on, I remembered them and remembered them not being so good, but we'll get to that. But for the most part, for me, you know, it's interesting you said there, Ben, about, you know, 2005, you can't remember anything. 
for me, straight away, 2005, the rise of Batista, because I remember that being done so well. How old would you have been at this point, Matt? 2005, oh God. Somebody help me out with maths here, I'm 32, <laughs> 2005. Yeah, you, you'd have been 15, 15, that's why, that's, that's right in your sweet spot. Can, yeah. can, can we can we just can we just pause a second and and go back to the maths thing there? Why did Matt? Why did you decide to calculate backwards from now to 2005 rather than go? I was born in X. How many more years is that from yeah, 2005? That that would have been a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> it's all asked backwards. Sorry, someone you may be hearing a drill because someone is now drilling next door to me and it is very very loud. So I don't know what's going on. Well, what are you uh, going to tell? What are you going to tell him to fuck off, Tinky? I would do. I'd do but it's hot in it. Can't be fucked. It, it <laughs> is hot. <laughs> Fucking hot. Fucking hot. Uh, we got business to do here, but uh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm so, yeah. So like 2005 for me was uh, like I said was the, the rise of Batista. You know, I, I remember it so well because I remember them fucking up the rise of Randy Orton, which was something that was meant to be the big thing of 2005 and never really kind of happened because they messed it up so bad. But yeah, like I said, my expectations of this show were were, were really high. I mean, well, uh, I don't want to get too far into but that Randy Orton thing like you said man they fuck it they jumped the gun in so many ways they yeah. jumped too fast into it they jumped too fast to get away from it fucking hell but they well, had to get away from it because it sucked well, at, right. at the risk at the risk of moving us along I don't want us to spoil what's going to come in episode 237 of this podcast when we cover SummerSlam 2004 so let's uh, move away from this conversation <laughs> and uh, Matt seeing as you're really excited about the show why didn't you pull out your talking point thank your pardon <laughs> that, that's a heck of a talking point jesus <laughs> the size of that thing <laughs> do you know what? There, there were so many i could go with but the one that really stuck out for me more than anything else was the use of hell in a cell now hell in a cell is a gimmick that i used to massively love and if i heard the words Hell in a Cell, I'm watching that show. I don't care who's in it. I don't care how it happened. If I hear those words, you've got yourself a pay-per-view buy, even if it's only one. Now, this is at a time where, and you guys will probably be able to say better than me, because arguably there were better Hell in a Cell matches even before the, you know, this sort of time period as well. I mean, your, your very first one, Take Your HBK, supposedly one of the most celebrated ones of all time. But, you know, there'd been ones that I had seen you know, Triple H Shawn Michaels for me is a very favourable one. Um, the Triple H Cactus Jack was a very favourable one. So as soon as I saw the Hell in a Cell, I thought, great, here we go. And the presentation of it was just not what it is today. It was super serious. It felt like a big deal. And more importantly than anything else, it wasn't fucking painted red which, <laughs> which is one of the best things they can do is not paint that damn thing but the language used to describe it the music used in the video promo to, to hype it up as a big deal there was a line Batista even said as well I, I can't quite remember exactly what the line was but it was almost like he was admitting fear of going into the thing and I was thinking good god nobody ever admits being afraid of going into hell in a cell you know it's just nobody gives a shit about it anymore and it just made me really sad because again like I said Said, this was a gimmick that a long time ago could easily sell pay-per-views and today 
I just don't think he's doing that. But before I let old man respond, let's just set talk about what the match was. So you're talking about the main event. It's Batista, who is the World Heavyweight Champion, against Triple H in a Hell in a Cell match. 26 minutes, 53 seconds. The match ends when Batista hits a Batista bomb, despite Triple H going to grab the sledgehammer on the way up, but doesn't manage to bring it down on Batista's head, and Batista gets the pin. So in terms of um, what Matt was saying about the Hell in a Cell presentation, old man, what was your, what's your thoughts on that? I 100% agree, and I'm very glad you said it, because in the opening video package, they're talking about it like people are going to die. And Batista does say, at one point, he's like, we might be going into Hell in a Cell, but you're going to have to send me to Hell to get my world title, because you're going to have to kill me. A bit much. But I liked what they were leaning on. And they did a lovely little thing at the start. So this is, uh, would this have been PG era, start of PG era? Not no, PG era. a few years after this. But JR gives a little disclaimer saying that this one won't be one, this won't be family viewing. It's Triple H in the main event. So it's always going to be a bit self-important. But I thought the way that they presented it as a match was tremendous. Well, like you said, Matt, they just don't do it anymore. It's just a match now. And it should be so. Like you mentioned, the Shawn Michaels Undertaker one, the first ever. That's got one of the great bits of commentary when Kane comes down. That's gotta be, that's gotta be Kane. That's gotta be Kane. When Kane comes down, he rips the thing. And there's this, there's that whole mystique that's great. Then you've got Mankind and the Undertaker, the most famous one where poor Mankind basically dies three times. Yeah, and then you've got to this point, which is eight years after the first one, and they're still saying, like, this is a fucking big deal, mate. People get fucking hurt. And a few years back, you had fucking Shane McMahon go off the top of one. And you think, brilliant. How's this happened? Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because I, I do agree with the the overall point there. But I will say that by this point, I feel like the, the gimmick is starting to become more normal, if that makes any sense. It feels like it's be- it's the beginning of them making one a year. I know they mm. now have a pay-per-view, Hell in a Cell, which then signposts when in the year it's going to be. But they already kind of do it in a very unofficial way, like in 2003 at Bad Blood, which is only like May, I think, middle of the year, basically, pay-per-view. Triple H is against Kevin Nash in Hell in a Cell. 2004, same pay review bad blood triple h's versus Shawn michaels in a hell in a cell so by this point for me it's starting to feel like is that time of the year we've got a hell in a cell match and it's got triple h in it and that's the way he's going to extend this feud out for another month and i do agree with you i think the presentation of this match is really good but it also is feeling at this point like it's starting to lose its i don't know not its specialness or luster but just yeah maybe just it's starting to feel like just part of the calendar a little bit not massively but a little bit i do i do though agree i think it is presented a lot better than it would be now and i do think as you said there's some interesting stuff with batista and the way he's responding to it and in fairness they're really drawing on the fact that triple h has been in a bunch of them by saying that batista's going into the unknown he doesn't know what's there he doesn't triple h knows what he's going to do he knows how this is going to go and so that was really good as well i thought so i do i I think they did a really good job matt what did you think of the match the the match itself as a whole was really good yeah it's one of those sort of rare ones for me that kind of got a little bit better as it got on um normally i kind of prefer matches to be a little bit shorter but as this one got on it it for me started to get a lot better there there was a couple of things in there that i I didn't quite like and i just want to hit on those really quickly some of triple h's selling for me and and he's done it before is is slightly goofy for my taste like there was one particular spot where I think he was, he jumped off the top rope uh, onto Batista and it was meant to be into his boot, but he had the sledgehammer up, which sort of hit him in the, I think it hit him in the jaw, but the commentators tried to sell it as it was the throat. I'm sure it was the jaw, but but either way, his sort of selling with that type of thing comes across as 
just a touch goofy to me. So that was a little bit of the negative side of it. But but other than that, they did everything they possibly could to to get Batista over this match, and which is why I want to start right now by saying Triple H is my MVP of the night. At this point, this was his third consecutive pay-per-view match with Batista. The first two weren't very good at all. The WrestleMania 21 crowning of Batista wasn't good. The Backlash rematch was worse. This was great. They literally, like I said, they threw everything they could at this. It was interesting to see some of the weapon shots because, again, because you don't really see so much of those today. I mean, the, the barbed wire chair, that, that was one that you don't tend to see quite often, so so that was interesting. And, and just to talk about the finish really quick as well, um, I've got to talk about that because at the time, I hated the finish. I, I literally remember being so mad at the time, thinking, what on earth was that? And I knew it was coming. I, I remembered it so well that I knew it was coming. And when I was watching this time, I was thinking, oh, okay, let's have a look and see if it's any different. And I actually enjoyed it more this time. It looked really good. It it made sense. It sort of protected Triple H a little bit. I mean, especially considering he was putting him over for the third time. Like I said, it, it kind of did him a little bit of a favor in the sense of they were saying, well, he would have won had he pulled the trigger a little bit quicker. But like I said, it it was great for everybody involved. It did wonders for Batista. Triple H took a hell of a lot of time off after this. And the match itself was great. It it was one of the best ones of the night. Not the best one, but one of the best ones of the night. And Hell in a Cell-wise, it's one of my personal favourites. Oh, man. I thought this was very good. I thought they told a lovely little story through the match. What they did that I was very pleased about is there a, I mean, you know I love a nerve hold, but there's no nerve holds. There's no figure fours. There's none of that shit. They just beat the crap into each other. That's what they do. And to your point, Matt, they are putting Batista over fucking enormous here. And I never watched this. I never watched this show before. I remember watching WrestleMania 21 thinking that was a bit crap. Not really interested anymore. And to watch this and see how much they pushed Batista is quite incredible. Like he he waxed Triple H with the uh, steel chair with barbed wire. Triple H obviously has a little blade, lovely old job. He does a power slam onto the chair as well. Basically, they throw everything in this and they're like, right, we've got 26 minutes and 53 seconds. 26 minutes and 50 of this, we're going to have to be doing stuff. So the last three seconds, they can both lie down. Don't need to worry about that. And they chuck everything into it. I thought this was going to be horrendous. I thought this was going to be 40 minutes. I thought this was going to be Kevin Nash, Triple H territory. That's why I thought painful to watch. And they'd be trying to do stuff that they shouldn't be doing. And they wouldn't just do exactly what they did. And I just thought that was pretty bloody good, actually. And a bloody good way to end the show. So I, I wasn't as high on it as you two. Uh, I think this is just not my kind of match. They're occupying a space for me between Big Hoss a big hoss battle and two lumbering big guys. They're somewhere between the two. They're not really hitting each other with bombs. They're just doing a lot of setups on to still steps and chairs and things. They're using sledgehammers and things like that rather than big old fucking nasty suplexes and like maybe a Vader match or a Steiner match might in their peak might include. So they're thankfully they're not lumbering. They're not the Kevin Nash kind of Triple H thing, but they're also not the end of the scale that I really enjoy, which would have been like just phenomenal. And if I had one word to sum this whole match up, it would be melodramatic. It was just so over the top in every way. 
Matt, you picked out the moment for me that was the most melodramatic when Triple H basically pretends like he's dead when he yeah. gets the sledgehammer to the throat and stands there with his eyes like wide open and yeah. holding his throat as if he's gonna die. Which I just, I just like, ugh, I don't. That's not for me. But also commentary, commentary wise. So Jerry, Jerry, sorry, Jim Ross, beginning of this match, in the early stages, as two quotes are poured out. The Hell in a Cell is no doubt morally corrupt. Jim Ross says. Yes. Then, then it, about a minute later, the cell has a sadomasochistic personality. Yeah. No, it doesn't. It's a fucking inanimate object, you dickhead. <laughs> it's it's just a metal structure. So those things I didn't like. Now, don't get me wrong. I didn't think it was a bad match. I I thought it was actually pretty good, but pretty good. Not really good. Not great not really enjoyable just pretty good and more than i was expecting i didn't think it would be i I was like oh man i thought this was going to be one heck of a chore to sit through um which is kind of fed into my concern when i saw that on the poster because i was like that's the only thing i really know about this um but and it it wasn't at all bad but it was just really melodramatic over the top and for me like lots of power slams spine busters stuff where you quite nicely place the other person on their back (laughs) in a kind of way that you can sell quite well when you're doing on some steel steps or a chair or something but isn't really that exciting to me it's just all a bit kind of one paced one dimensional but still decent still decent are they the two wrestlers that have leaned on the spine buster more than any other two in their careers (laughs) possibly with the exception of arn anderson because as we as we've said before that's the only thing you fucking well do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, and and he's also oh no, he he's he, he, is he a dad? No, he looks like a dad. He looks he? like a dad. He is a dad. He also yeah. looks like it in the ring 25, 30, 40 years ago. And in yeah, fairness, yeah. when I say it's the only thing you can do, I don't mean it's the only thing you can do. It's just the only thing about him. <laughs> it's, the only, it's the only thing that I find at all interesting. Do you reckon that when he was impregnating his wife, he spine busted her before? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> so we'll go from there and ask you for your talking point on that. Well, given that I've moved into something quite tasteless, why not get into uh, Lillian Garcia? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's, let's get into it. <laughs> so this is, without a doubt, one of the oddest things I've ever seen. And mm. I'm not talking wrestling. <laughs> I'm talking ever. Do you want me to run down what happens? <laughs> Do you know what? No, I think I want to go at it. You go on. Go on, go on, go on. I, I, what I will say before you do, though, is I have got nearly, I'd say, three quarters of a page of notes <laughs> noting down what happened here, because it goes on for fucking ages. It does. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, right? What I'll do is I'll probably take the first bit, definitely. Go on. So Lillian Garcia comes out to some music, a song that she's singing. Very nice voice. Lovely. We know that. She's sung America the Beautiful before. Uh, Mania. So she comes out. There's a sofa there. Well, I don't know. What's good? I, don't, I don't ever remember Lillian having a talk show. And she uh, introduces Viscera in his world's largest love machine gimmick, which probably my favourite, I think, of all of the Viscera gimmicks. <laughs> And uh, she then says how happy he's made her over the last couple of months. Now, before I get into this, my main memory of this is that Viscera was effectively trying to rape Lillian on Raw, and he was following her around. Matt, can you confirm or deny that that's what was happening? Because I have no idea. I wasn't watching it at all, so I can't tell you. <laughs> Do you know what? 
I kind of think that was true, yeah. Yeah. So Lillian sits him down on the sofa and she has a little sing to him. She sings a lovely song about how much she loves him, at which point I'm very confused and I don't know what's going on. But I stick with it because I'm a professional. And Lillian then proposes to Viscera. If Lillian Garcia proposed to me and we've been going out a couple of months, to be honest, it'd probably be a straight, this is moving a bit fast for me, to be honest, unless it was going extraordinarily well. Viscera pauses for a long time and then he talks and I realise this is the first time I'd ever heard him talk. And he talks very differently to what I would expect him. And then he's talking, he's kind of fumbling around his words. I'm like, he's going to say no. And now I'm like, I don't know how this segment's going to end. Like, I'm very concerned about how this is going to end. And then the Godfather's music hits. And the crowd, I mean, they're alive. (laughs) They're absolutely alive. And the Godfather comes out, he's wearing a white suit with a red shirt and a white tie, which is pretty, it's either the same or the exact reverse of what Triple H is wearing when he arrives at the arena. Interesting. I'm guessing they're not wearing the same suit. Who knows? Because it would be fair to say to the Godfather of Charles Wright, he's not in wrestling shape. I think that's probably fair. But he's been retired a little bit at this point. And then the Godfather comes out with his hose. So he's got his little train with him. He does his gimmick and he then spends an obscene amount of time effectively saying shagging a load of women is better than shagging one for the rest of your life and marriage is shit so don't do it and after what must be must be four minutes of this viscera then walks away with the hose having walked behind all of them and just made some quite that's but quite repulsive noises Mm-hmm. and then uh, chooses the house and walks off and poor Lillian is just left in the ring crying all the while the commentators so I think the coach is gone at this point I think the coach has gone backstage to do something or he might still be there but Lawler's like he's been married about 19 times and you know, the coach is there because he's trying to get JR to say stuff. JR is not interested. And the king's not interested. This is so, this is such poor taste. <laughs> the king's not interested. <laughs> so, Matt, I can see why you like this uh, era of professional wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every era has a shit segment. This was ours. This is this is beyond nearly anything I've ever seen right? in <laughs> terms of just length and in terms yeah. of who, who's involved and in terms of the bad taste. Like, put all that together, multiply it against one another. I don't think it's I've seen anything as bad as this. Yeah. <laughs> the viscera walking behind each woman as she basically would grind him with him just whispering over the mic something like, Yeah, baby, was just absolutely what are you, grim. He was doing he was doing Tom's bins. That's what he was doing. Honestly, if I wasn't watching the show for this podcast, I would have fast forwarded through this. This just wasn't comfortable viewing. Um, yeah, not not good. So, uh, human old man, you love this. This is so distasteful, even for WWE. But I, be honest, I didn't have a clue what to think, <laughs> and I still don't. I know it wasn't good, and I know it's not something I'd ever want to see again. But I'm just like, what? They were obviously wanted to end this relationship thing as a storyline, but still keep the world's largest love machine reasonably popular with the fans. Now, I might be a traditional kind of lad, (laughs) but I'm not sure that walking out on someone who's just proposed to you to effectively have sex with eight women whilst the Godfather charges you for this pleasure is really the way to keep the crowd on side. But I'll tell you what, it bloody worked. 
Because that crowd, they love those hoes. They love those hoes. This is dreadful, isn't it? What I, what I was confused by, really, from the very beginning was that Justin Roberts actually introduces um, Lillian Garcia to the crowd. And he calls her WWE diva Lillian Garcia. And I was like, hang on, what? And then and then she's out in front of the crowd. She's doing this thing with Viscera. I'm like, I don't remember a time when Lillian Garcia was in storylines and was part of any. Like, I'm just like, she is a ring announcer. That's her role. Mm. Like Justin Roberts. I'm not expecting him to be involved in anything like this and yet she was <laughs> and it really surprised me i was like what is this i don't remember this at all like anything to do with Lillian garcia and then i was trying to think when was she first in the company and so i've just had a look mm. on a wikipedia page and she's been there for fucking ages like she was there when i was watching regularly which i can't remember yeah. so i don't remember this at all this is very very strange to me so i just suppose while you were talking then i was to find out i wish i so at the end of this i was like, i really wish i timed how long it is 14 minutes and five seconds wow look at that i mean that that's is... just to put that into context that's longer than three of the matches on the card <laughs> and only a minute and 13 seconds shorter than the triple threat match for the wwe title and it's a, it's a show which has only got six matches so it's longer yeah. than three of them and there's only six on there so unbelievable jeff <laughs> it really is yeah i mean <laughs> what do i say about this i mean first of all i say the breakdown old man was absolutely expert i didn't even Thank go to the i didn't even go into the level of detail with my notes that i that you uh, put it so i couldn't i couldn't legitimately could not have done a better job oh. secondly it's, it's fucking shit in it it's fucking shit. <laughs> absolute fucking dreadful fucking shit! It's, it's fucking shit <laughs> just awful just really really bad and i can't have nothing else to say about it other than that it's just absolutely shit you know I, I got one more and it's because it's something they'll come up later as well this crowd can absolutely fuck off yeah, they were a bit obnoxious, I thought. And I actually think that this is something I've noticed around this time in particular. Maybe not just 2005, but sort of 2003, maybe right through to you know the time when it went PG, probably. The yeah. crowd are just generally obnoxious. Yeah, it, this will come up again, don't worry. <laughs> so, my token point. I've, I've got one or two, and I'm trying to figure out which one to go with. I'll go with the one that's a bit more meta, shall I, than the one that's actually about the show. You bloody love a bit of Mark Zuckerberg, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. So it's so it's Kurt Angle versus Shawn Michaels. First of all, this is a 26-minute match between Shawn Michaels and Kurt Angle. It ends when Angle comes off the top, but HBK counters with a super kick to get the victory. We'll talk about the match quality in a minute, but about two weeks ago possibly maybe even just a week ago i'm not sure matt i said to you that i recommend you watch all of the shows without looking at the card ahead of time so take me on this show i am aware thanks to the poster that we've got batista triple h hell in the cell main event and i'm like oh fucking hell now in a show where perhaps sean Michaels and current angle wasn't due to be on it had i looked at the card and seen what else was on it i'd have been like fuck there's nothing to there's nothing to redeem this card for me there's nothing that i can that i that i'm going to enjoy but having not known that i can imagine there's any match whatsoever could be on this who knows so you can only imagine my delight at seeing at about 45 minutes in the match graphic which shows Shawn Michaels versus Kurt Angle is going to take place at this show and so that was an absolute joy to behold and the match itself was also a damn damn good match it is my match of the night 
it is very very good as you would expect it's the sort of contradictory point to what you were saying about wrestlemania 21 earlier old man which is that i agree with you the main events of wrestlemania 21 are not for me it's john cena and jbl and batista triple h but underneath it is a fucking stonking card to the point where i'd say it's probably one of the best wrestlemanias around because of that i agree that undercard is so good and this match is part of that this is their rematch. Shawn Michaels getting his win back, which is a little bit predictable. I was a little bit disappointed that he didn't, that Kurt Angle didn't win, to be honest. I think there's far more stock in Kurt Angle getting the victory, although obviously Kurt would actually not be in the company for much more than a year after this. So, yeah, maybe maybe it wasn't such a bad idea. But cracking match, excellent stuff. What you Exactly what you'd expect. I mean, the thing is, that's the thing. There's almost a, it's almost a guarantee of quality when you have Shawn Michaels versus Kurt Angle on a show, which is why I was so delighted to see it. And then to see it play out and for it to be this good was great so yeah very very happy about that i've got a question for matthew did you follow tinky's guidance uh yes um i did not look up the card in advance yes yes good lad obviously I mean, you you did say that this is in your sweet spot a little, little bit cheating you because i kind of knew half of it anyway off the top of my yeah. head but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah you did say there was some stuff that you were caught off guard by and you imagine if you imagine if you weren't caught off guard where's the surprise cena you know and i also think that I do, again, genuinely do recommend that's how you watch the next show that you've not seen before, because it just will genuinely mean that it's easier to sit through. <laughs> if there's nothing mm. good on it, you know, you're not going to know that until the end of the show. Whereas if you look ahead, you will know it and then you'll be like three hours of like, oh, this is shit. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of the match then? Old man, let's start with you. This, be, this is fucking great. Let's be honest. It's my match of the night as well. And it's so intense. Angle looks fucking fuming when he comes down fucking fuming Shawn Michaels looks legitimately concerned stood in the ring the camera cuts to him and he just looks a little bit like he's a bit like fucking hell he's coming for me here and he's gonna beat me up and I'm gonna have to be fucking ready for this and it's a big thing that I've heard about Angle Austin said this on something he said if you were in the ring with Angle and he felt you were off he'd fucking work you until you were on form effectively God knows how he got that match out of a bit, Tinky. <laughs> you imagine how fucking hard he must have had to have worked. But they start off there doing the rest of the exchanges, and there's always the thing with these these two when they had their matches. Like, oh, Shawn Michaels is the traditional, effectively WWE wrestler, and Kurt Angle's the fucking hardcore Olympic gold medalist, which he should be. And they start off by doing some wrestling holds and stuff like that, and Shawn Michaels has Kurt Angle in a headlock in the corner, and then the referee, there's a, like, a rope break, and the referee pushes Angle away, and Angle just goes, that's right, motherfucker, and he's staring a hole through Michaels, and I was scared, and this is 17 <laughs> years ago, and I'm like, fucking hell. The guy's had about 19 neck surgeries since then, and can, can't move his head, but I'm like, fucking hell, I'm scared, and that's why I think I enjoyed it so much. It's because they're so intense all, the whole time as well. All 26 minutes, they just go hell for leather and they don't stop. They don't take a breath. There's a belly to back suplex on the announce table. But other than that, it's just two lads beating the piss out of each other. But telling this really nice like story that I can't, couldn't really put my hand on what my hand couldn't put my finger on what the story was i couldn't put my fist on what the story was but they just tell this lovely thing and i just thought i just thought it was great and it really made me i remember that before it's a good old while ago now when i was watching all the manias in turn and i watched 21 i stand by it i looked at the card it's fine their match is off the chain good sticky little feeling this one might be there but I, I don't know. I need to watch it again. But I thought this was fucking great. Go on, lads. 
So I've had a bit of time since I talked about this a minute ago to actually go through my notes again and just pull out some things. So I'm going to do that if that's all right, Matt, before we come yeah, to yeah, you. So first of all, the one bum note of the match is its not a bum note. It's not a bad thing. It's just a preference for me. Angle does a release German suplex at one point. Just do, don't, don't do the release. The release is worse. Do a proper mm. German suplex. Much better. Looks much better. Maybe Angle wasn't capable of the bridge, which is why he doesn't mm. do it. And if that is true, then I credit him for knowing his limitations and not doing it. But if he could do the bridge, do the fucking bridge, because it's so much better when you do the bridge. Mm. Release German suplex isn't as good as a normal German suplex. Don't do it. And also, let's suppose Angle wasn't a great one for knowing his limitations, was he? <laughs> That's a very good point. Very good point. But here's the good stuff. So the buckle bomb. I don't think we'd oh, seen a buckle yes. bomb by this point. I think it's one of the first times I've ever seen a buckle bomb on WWE television. Absolutely fantastic. And gets the desired reaction because it was so rarely done mm-hmm. at, the, at that time. The belly to belly suplex on the ring announcers table is one of my favorite ring announce table spots ever because it doesn't feel like a setup. It doesn't feel like a set piece. It, they're basically in the midst of fighting and Angle manages to maneuver Michaels into a position to do a to do a belly to belly suplex on him. And it just so happens that behind him at that moment is the table. It's not like he set it all up and he's got it ready and he's made everyone anticipate it. He's just gone, oh, I reversed that clothesline or whatever it was, grabbed you around the race, threw you over my head really quickly, and you've landed on the ring announcer table. It's just it's just great. The Michaels slapping away a guy who checks on him when he falls yeah. outside the ring. Just love it. Just a lovely little touch. It's just so phenomenally good. And finally, the last thing I want to bring out was a little note for our friend Stephen, because, mm. the beginning, because at the beginning of the match, Jim Ross details seeing Shawn Michaels' debut match in Shreveport, Louisiana, which undoubtedly would have been a Mid-South uh, wrestling taping in the 80s at some point. So that was just a little shout out for him and his, uh, and his podcast over there. Lovely. Matt. Well, first of all, I agree with both you gentlemen in that this was my match of the night as well. So no arguments. We're all in full agreement on this this week. This match was absolutely fantastic. I'm so, so happy that I finally get to see a Kurt Angle match on this show because <laughs> I have not been able to talk about the brilliance of this man. You know, in I don't know how long. Kurt Angle is so fucking good. And that just doesn't even do him justice. This was, a br- and again, that's not to say that Shawn Michaels isn't either, but my personal preference, Kurt Angle, the man. Th- this match was brilliant. You know, you mentioned some of the stuff there. The buckle bomb was fantastic. I, I too thought, you know, the Shawn Michaels slap of one of the guys checking on him was fantastic. And what I really liked about this match was that you could tell they purposely tried to make it different from their WrestleMania match. And there was there was a couple of little callbacks to the Mania one as well, where Angle went to do the Angle Slam into the ring post, which Shawn Michaels countered this time, which I thought that that was great. Um, so little callbacks to that was great as well. Now, particularly when it comes to that WrestleMania the match because I, I know how how much that one's loved and, and I love that one too I think I might have slightly preferred this one myself as well and this is probably me being so incredibly nitpicky however I do vividly remember in the Wrestlemania match where Angle did that Angle slam to show Michaels into the ring post I'm sure it was meant to be his back that he hit the ring post, but he didn't quite it didn't quite hit his back. It hit his leg instead. But when Sean went down, he was selling the back. I can still remember that. Like I said, it, somebody might want to double check that to see if that was. I I know. Brutal critic. I I know it is being really, but it so so sticks with me. 
because it was a clear camera shot of not his back hitting the post. And that's the first thing he did was grab the back. And I was like, no, they should have just gone with the leg instead. But that's me being incredibly nitpicky. But yeah, like I said, this match was great. In terms of the finish, I too probably would have preferred that the Kurt won this one. But then over the course of the summer, they had, if I remember right, I'm sure it was Shawn Michaels going against Hulk Hogan. So they needed Shawn to be at the top of his game and they needed him to be the guy. So they needed him to get the win for this one. And then to be honest, throughout the rest of the year, Kurt came back anyway and ended up challenging for the WWE title by the end of the year. So it worked out well for both. But yeah, fantastic match. If you haven't seen it, got your way to do so so basically what you're saying is they fed kurt angle to Shawn michaels so that they could feed Shawn michaels to hulk hogan exactly <laughs> great this uh, this is wonderful the thing i wanted to pick up on there was the thing you were saying about wrestlemania and the angle slam thing maybe you were selling the back having fallen on his back after hitting the ring post maybe but like the, the, the it's a perception thing matt i think you've just yeah. had the wrong one <laughs> no i mean the whole point of the move was to hit his back into the ring post and then i'm sure the announcers even said it oh he hit his back into the ring post and he didn't because the I camera clearly showed he didn't i don't know i'm not like i'm not overly familiar with the match to be honest um so I can't comment, but uh, I was just trying to give you an alternative perspective. <laughs> I mean, you saying that like he'd been fed, so Michaels had been fed Angle to thing. I don't know because Angle would go on to face Eugene <laughs> at SummerSlam. <laughs> yeah. So he needed yeah, to in be a built match, as well, didn't he? I mean, yeah, in a match for Kurt Angle's Olympic medal, he did beat the shit out of him. To be fair. <laughs> Yeah, four minutes and 31 seconds, beaten by submission. So also, Matt, just to clear up something else as well, you're not hard done by having not seen a Kurt Angle match until this point because we've only actually covered seven Kurt Angle matches on the podcast overall, compared with Shawn Michaels, who we've covered 17 matches of on the podcast. So to be honest, it's not actually that common an occurrence to see something by angle on that note we are going to take a quick break and then we'll be back to cover all of the rest of the stuff that took place at vengeance 2005 see you then sean michaels earlier tonight i had a chance to talk to kurt angle about your matchup tonight and he seemed very confident in fact he practically guaranteed that he'd be the first man to make you tap out twice what are your thoughts on this classic wrestlemania 21 rematch guaranteed <laughs> guaranteed well, you see, that's perfect. I want Kurt Angle 100% confident going into tonight's rematch. You see, after WrestleMania 21, I thought to myself, HBK, are you going to have a chance to even the score? <laughs> but thanks to the draft lottery, all things are possible. Now the big question is, WrestleMania 21, a classic Story of my life, HBK, can you follow that? I don't know. One thing though, guarantee, vengeance will be mine. Okay, welcome back to the show. So we're going to go through the rest of the show now. And we start with a bit about John Cena's draft to Raw. So that was obviously the big deal at the time. Now, I know I didn't see this at the time, but I have seen clips of this. Um, play out on Raw and it's fair to say it's one of those major kind of moments major kind of uh, crowd pops of all time but so it's good that I'm actually starting to build up a repository of images of 2005 in my mind because prior to this as I said I had no, no clue we then also have video hyping the danger of the hell in a cell as we spoke about earlier on and the match between Triple H and Batista our commentary team are Jim Ross, Jerry Lawler, and Jonathan Coachman. Any thoughts on the John Cena thing to start with? I guess we should start with. 
Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up because it was a big bloody deal <laughs> at the time. It, it was one of those rare moments where I would actually, I actually stayed up uh, to, to watch Raw live, thinking, "Who? It's the first night of the draft. Got to see this." And I wasn't even a fan of John Cena at the time. I, I was trying to be clever. I, I wasn't <laughs> really a fan of Cena. However, as soon as he came out, I thought, "Bloody hell, this is a big deal." You knew. The second he walked out on that stage, you thought, okay, if if he's coming over onto Raw, th- this is big. So I was one of the fans who definitely popped for that. It was a big deal. As it turns out, it was the it literally was the start of the John Cena mega push, as we now all know. And like I said, you know, uh, we had the, the rest of the video showing the Hell Cell stuff, which you talked about, which uh, was great. So it was a good opening video. Commentary team, I don't remember much of Coach with um, with JR and King. I know he was a heel around this time, and he'd pop in every now and again, and he, they mostly used him as a backstage announcer. Occasionally, some stuff with Eric Bischoff, but I, I didn't really think that much of him on commentary. I just I kind of ignored him. Did you know you said about John Cena that's been the start of his big push? Didn't theoretically that already begin, given that he was already WWE champion? I, I say the start of his of his push in general of him being but the start of his mega push of him okay. being the man would say. In fact, I literally would you could make the point that this was the night where it started. So because they they switched them, didn't they? they switched Cena and Batista effectively, and. It makes sense because they they had to freshen up the options for them. And the easiest way to do it is switch them. And then basically all of their opponents are new and different. But it certainly worked out for John Cena probably better, you'd have to say, than Batista. Yeah, I mean, Batista, like, you know, like I said, it was his third straight Triple H match. And to be honest, at that time on Raw, it was either you're facing Triple H or, you know, you're not in the main event. So, you know, Batista had nowhere else to go. Um, So for him, he had to go over to SmackDown. And yeah, you know, you could definitely make that point that it, it definitely worked out better for Cena than it did Batista yeah yeah I, I feel like Matt does that. I feel like this is that Monday night was the night that made Cena because I think if you're the guy on Monday Night Raw I think that's how the company sees you I know now you have Roman Reigns who's on Smackdown and he's undoubtedly the guy but it's always Raw isn't it it's always Raw that's why The Undertaker was on Smackdown for so many years was because he could be the guy over there without having to be the main company guy and he'd be the guy you'd be happy to put people over Cena ain't putting no one over especially at this time for about 10 years yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah in terms of the commentary team so I've no idea how often they commentated together these three but it wouldn't surprise me if this was a one and done or maybe a handful of times because i get the feeling that jr loathes the coach now i don't know whether this is the coach's character that he's playing because as you said Matt, he's kind of playing a heel but he is not good and he is not very nice to jr and he brings the worst out in the king and he's also wearing sunglasses through the whole show so he's like mr hughes wearing one through his, his match Precisely, but not as good. Yeah. That, that was always his gimmick, the, the glasses. Yeah. Well, Mr. Hughes I... or Jonathan Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> the coach. Thing is, I, I never minded the coach. When he did his backstage up, he did the incredible dancing thing with The Rock. So basically, The Rock, he's doing a promo. So The Rock is getting interviewed and he basically makes the coach do the Charleston and the coach fucking gets right into it. And The Rock just like kicks him out of screen. It's absolutely great. But on commentary, no, no, coach. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess, you know, I think he was probably just operating as Vince McMahon's pet mouthpiece. Yes. It just made him say stuff that would be mean spirited to JR and just be generally Mm -hmm. just obnoxious. I didn't like it at all. I found it very strange as well. We seem to have two heel commentators here. Lawler and Coach seem to both 
both be playing the heel, which was too much for JR to counter. And I've said this before, it's so important that the babyface commentator can look superior, ultimately, in intellect and in reason to the heel to, to get over the fact that the heels are wrong. <laughs> and if they can't, then it fundamentally breaks down the whole of, of the, the, the thing for me. So that was a problem. But also, it's very odd because they show them and you've got, so to the left, looking at them, Lawler, the coach, and then JR on the end. The view's just all off. <laughs> JR's got to be in the middle. <laughs> yes, that's He's true. the main guy. He's got to be in the middle. When I saw that, I was a bit like, don't like this. Where's the coach <laughs> in the middle? <laughs> After that, we get uh, some footage of Carlito being shown defeating Shelton Benjamin. Shelton Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin. Not- not Benjamin, defeating Shelton Benjamin for the Intercontinental title on Raw six days before the pay-per-view. Which leads us to our first match of the night, which is Carlito versus Shelton Benjamin uh, in a match for the Intercontinental title. It's, it's just under 13 minutes long. And this one ends when Carlito exposes a turnbuckle and Shelton misses a stinger splash, then hits his head on the tur- turnbuckle, after which Carlito gets the pin. Uh, oh man, let's start with you, your thoughts. Our first experience of Carlito on this podcast was him and Ric Flair mm. in what could only be described as a fucking terrible match. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? He's in there with Shelty Bench. He's got to do better. And he bloody does. And there's a little bum note when Carlito comes out. So he's carrying the title. It's named as the Challenger <laughs> by Justin Roberts. <laughs> yes, I'm he like, did. <laughs> oh, Justin. Oh, Justin. And uh, I know we'll get into the crowd a bit later, but they're fucking up for this. They're really up for this match. They're up for both of these guys. Very excited to see Shelton. This is something that goes through the whole card. You've got a very simple story. Carlito beat Shelton Benjamin because Shelton Benjamin missed a move and hurt his back apparently on the floor. I'll be honest, it's very flimsy because there's a bump you see people take five times a night if you watch an episode of Raw. But Benjamin's fucked off and he just starts so intense and they really get the crowd on side. There's a couple of cracking near falls towards the end, particularly off of a springboard bulldog that I think it's Shelton Benjamin does to Carlito which looks cracking and the near fall is absolutely tremendous and I just thought this was just a very enjoyable fast-paced lively little way to start a pay-per-view can't really ask a lot more to be honest it's fair Matt that that is fair (laughs) it it was and you know I I think fair is probably a good way to describe it 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 was it was fair to a good opener I think it's probably whenever whenever I hear the example of you know so and so could could work with a broom this match sprang to mind to be honest because I kind of felt that's what Shelton Benjamin was doing um no disrespect intended to a certain Carlito, but you know what? Hang on, no disrespect. <laughs> Just call the man a broom. Yeah, in fairness, you can say that you didn't intend to disrespect him, but you must have known that you were going to. <laughs> well, now that it's out there, no disrespect intended to Carlito, but oh my god I mean this was this was the Shelton Benjamin show to be honest I don't think Shelton Benjamin gets a lot of credit that he deserves particularly for this time period because they they, they stopped and started with Shelton Benjamin an awful lot around about this time period over the uh, and over the next few years you know he even had a, a win over Triple H at one point um, which is probably as high as his career is ever going to go Carlito uh, I, I just don't really feel that he was pulling his weight to such year that I, I don't really think there was anything he did that was that memorable and they were full on going with Carlito as well this was the second time that he had debuted or he debuted on Raw I think it was like the show before and he won the Intercontinental title where when he made his debut on Smackdown the year prior 
he won the US title from be- uh, from beating John Cena. So two years in a row, debuts on shows, wins the title, and he and he was in the middle of getting a huge push as well. He ended up working with alongside Shawn Michaels and Hulk Hogan. So they were clearly going with him. I just don't feel he was personally worth the effort. I, I felt that Shelton did a lot of the work here and deserves a lot of the credit. Like I said, the match itself, it was pretty good. There was some good stuff in there. Good little opener. Yeah, good way to start the show. Like I said, for me, this was all about the Benjamins. Oh, clever. Love it. We've had to delay recording this show today because we were going to do it a few days ago and we ended up moving it to here. And I've forgotten everything about this match. Can't remember a thing about it anymore because it was about four years ago that I watched it now. I, it's just, there's nothing sticking in my head. I've gone through my notes and I've been like, what? Oh yeah, uh, no, I don't really remember that. One thing I do remember, it, so I just want to comment on some of the things you've said. So first of all, Carlito. So I think he does come across as quite lazy in general, but I wonder if that's just him playing into the gimmick because he's supposed to be really laid back and he's, that's the whole idea. And so he would be a bit lazy. So I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a fair thing or maybe it is. Maybe it's fair. I mean, the fact that he was a stop start push during that time would, would suggest that WWE thought he was a bit lazy anyway. But it just feels like it does suit the character quite well. So I don't, maybe that's maybe that's just me reading something into something that's not there. Shelton Benjamin, I think, does get a lot of credit from people for his quality at this time. And I was going to ask you really about when, whether this was the end really for Shelton Benjamin in terms of his proper sustained push, because he, I think he'd had a couple of Intercontinental title reigns by this point. And I think it was long, wasn't long after this they did the Shelton Benjamin's mother thing that was just awful. Yeah, and then sort of just disappeared really and, and kind of was gone. But he was, he was phenomenal. And then one last thing that I wanted to talk about was that this was the era of start stop pushes wasn't it this is when they like literally everyone went through a period where they pushed them for a few months then stopped even though they were gaining some momentum and the fans were getting behind them then they just stopped cancelled the push they fell off a cliff then they would move them over to the other roster and then push them again and do exactly the same thing and it feels like after the so this is just like a year after WWE have gone big time on Cena, Orton and Batista pretty much all at the same time and then obviously two years before that Brock Lesnar was the big the big push but it seems like after those four everybody else was kind of like we're not going to give you the full throated push we're just going to kind of push you a little bit then pull you back and push you and then and and no one really ended up getting getting over to the same extent really i think that there hasn't been anybody created since 2002 if you like if you consider that class of four wrestlers from 2002 other than roman reigns that has kind of gone become that sort of level of star so clearly it's not really doing anything for them but yeah that's that's um another thing i wanted to pull out in the commentary here jr says that carlito is the 13th man or 15th man not sure which one it says on my notes to have held both the intercontinental title and the u.s titles which i say to that there's too many people holding titles quite frankly <laughs> if, the, if there's that many people who've held both of them then they need to stop changing the title so fucking much on the plus side it didn't change hands here but That's it true. had changed hands six days before <laughs> that is yeah. true Yes, that is true. And, and it probably did about 10 minutes after. <laughs> so next up, Triple H and then Ric Flair arrive at the arena. That's all, that's, that's all they do. I actually had a point on this. So I mentioned what he's wearing. He's dressed as either Brother Love or Michael Hayes. I couldn't figure out which. <laughs> but he arrives. Bear in mind, this is uh, Triple H. Big guy. He's a wrestler. He's a tough man. Multiple time world champion. Ten time, I think, at this point. He's ever Ric Flair. Dirtiest player in the game. Not a very nice human being. They've got security. I'm like, what? I know he's a heel. I know he's a heel. I'm like, no, this is too much. They don't need security. There's security on the door outside 
hide. So I'm like, cool, someone's going to try and fucking get in that changing room and they're going to try and bloody beat him up. And they don't. They never do. I was like, who was the security man? And I wonder how much he got paid for it. Well, the, the, he's paid really just for his presence, old man. I mean, the very reason you have a security guard is that no one tries it on, basically. And, mm. and that, that turned out to be the case. So it was money well spent, ultimately. <laughs> yeah, I suppose I, I do find it quite strange that he had security, though. I was a bit like, come on, mate, you're supposed to be tough, and you? It's less weird than Bill Goldberg being surrounded by security in his pants. Yes. <laughs> well, in fairness, I, that was purely to keep you away, thinking. <laughs> Hey, that was to keep us all out. I'm telling you now. Yeah, yeah. You, you go. And I'd love to take his jackhammer. Very little sad. But spear first. <laughs> oh my word! So video package then shows yeah. a swimsuit match on Raw and Christy Hemi and Victoria's feud beginning. Not really clear why. I've written here, but Christy calls Victoria a bitch, and then Victoria hits Christy Hemi with some kind of glass, busting her open. That's what I've got. I, I got to be honest. Partially, a lot of this was due to the fact that I was trying to look after my baby son at the same time as watching it so some of my notes in the early part of the show are a little bit hazy but yes i also wasn't generally particularly impressed with this i'll be honest you pretty much summed it up (laughs) good okay good but you've got a build to a women's match with blood and the word bitch being used twice i was like oh this could be a little bit feisty this I will say, though, that women calling other women bitch in wrestling promos is probably the most overused thing in wrestling mm. uh, r- right now. I mean, maybe not so much back then, but certainly right now it is. You can't go an episode of Dynamite without someone saying bitch to somebody else. It's Shut ridiculous. up, bitch. <laughs> so it's Victoria versus Chrissy Hemi, which is up next. And it's a five minute match, which ends when Victoria kneels into a Hemi sunset flip and then holds the rope to get more leverage for the pin to take the victory i will say that chrissy hemi wrestling is a new experience for me mm. never never really experienced it before not saying i particularly want to experience it again but i i hadn't even really realized she was an active competitor of any kind yeah they they, they tried they they tried and tried and tried with christy it just never clicked yeah she, she won the, uh, the 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 diva search i think it was the first one they tried I think the closest she came to anything, or probably the, the biggest match she ever ended up having, was I'm sure it was a WrestleMania women's title match. Might have been that year, actually. Might have been, might have been her versus Trish, if I remember. If I, yeah, in fact, it was. It was her versus Trish with Lita, sort of coaching her. And that was as big a you know, match as she ever got. But yeah, the, because of the investment of her winning the Diva Search, they tried. But yeah, as you could see in this match, I mean, there's not really much to say about it. I mean, she tried, but she's just not that great. I mean, the one thing in particular for me that I didn't like, I'm not sure if any of you guys remember this, but I adored her theme music. It was the Hives. And ironically, it was the Hives Walk Idiot Walk, which why they used that song for who knows. But they didn't use it. They edited it out on this show. How dare they? So I was disappointed by that. But yeah, the the, the match, it, it wasn't much to it. Victoria tried. And this was part one for me of where the crowd were beginning to be a bit to be a bit of a dick, to be honest. There was some light we want puppies chance, which, okay, you kind of got that in, in that sort of uh, era. But yeah, 
match itself wasn't great. What, what else? What else can you really say? I noticed the fans early on in the show, midway through the first match, because I've got a note which says some Carlito chants from the twats. <laughs> that's, the, that's the entire note. There's nothing else, just from the twats. I clearly was already pissed off with this crowd. I think this crowd are gonna be, to be honest, probably people around about maybe a few years younger than us, Tinky. I reckon. What at the time? Yeah, yeah. So probably, like, probably our age at the time, I would think. Yeah, maybe in like early twenties. Just like, yeah, so preconditioned to expect certain things. Don't excuse it because it's not something even at that age I would have done. Gone to an arena and chanted, we want puppies during a women's wrestling match. I, I bloody love dogs. But it's not a safe place, is it? No, you wouldn't want dogs anywhere near that, that crowd. No, arena. no. I took a walk earlier, saw some lovely dogs. First thing I thought, that Las Vegas crowd, they want you wrestling. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not a, having that. Just imagine you, you you said it how it is and you just ch- and you, people just chanted, we want it. Just, just imagine that. I'm pretty oh. sure one of the pay-per-views in the UK, the crowd did chant we want tits i think it was on like capital carnage or one night only or one of those uk only exclusive pay-per-views i'm pretty sure they did chant that that is terrible well i mean is is it it really terrible given that that's exactly the same meaning as we want puppies i mean it's not it's it's no more terrible is what i mean well true is it yeah it's just terrible in general well and also you've got during this match the coach and the king being really incredibly sexist at times and it's kind of like, well, this is kind of what you're, this is what you're, it's also, uh, and thankfully this, they've moved away from this now. This is a very male heavy crowd as well. It's very much uh, dominated by cocks with cocks, I think we'll call them. Yeah, Twats we'll do cocks. that. Twats with cocks. But anyway, back to the match. So Christy Hemi is bringing the fire early on. She's very fired up. And in fairness, this is five minutes, 11 seconds. They ain't bad. There's a few little missteps. Yeah, it's probably being a bit kind. But they work their little socks off. But I think they're given just about the right amount of time. To be honest, I'd normally be someone who'd advocate ah, five minutes. Come on. I know this is largely a nothing match. But if you're trying to like push someone, give them like seven, eight, ten minutes or something. I think kind of to your point, Matt, I think this is probably about as good as you could have got out of Christy Hemi at the time. At the time, as if she turned into some cracking worker. <laughs> My main memory of Christy Hemi is working for TNA. And yeah. she was actually a pretty good personality. Uh, which you thought would be tailor made for WWE. Yeah. Doesn't need to be a wrestler. She has a really, she's got a really vibrant personality. She's a good talker. You know, she seems to have the gift of the gab. And I just thought she would fit perfectly in WWE of 2005, 6, 7, 8, 9, and onwards. Did she do any stuff backstage, Matt, that you recall? I think she may have been an interviewer briefly, very briefly, and before she left. I can't can't remember if she was fired or she actually chose to leave. I'll have to double check that. But um, yeah, I'm sure. Sure, she might have done some interviewing briefly, but yeah, they, yeah, her personality absolutely was her best strength, which they, they never fully used. They just kept constantly trying to put her in the ring, and it just just didn't work. So, I, I mean, I didn't think much of the match. It was it wasn't particularly good, and that's that's all I'll say about it. To be honest, I don't think I need to go into any more detail than that. No, no, sorry, Tiggy, can you do a uh, detailed breakdown, please? <laughs> <laughs> okay, hang on one second. Victoria attacks Hemi as soon as she gets in the ring. Jr. says that Hemi's wrestling with a concussion and stitches in her head. There's a "We Want Puppies" chant. Victoria is dominant for the majority of this one. There's an awkward exchange about five minutes in. A DDT by Hemi as she gets back into the match, but then the finish. 
finish comes, which I've already gone through. There you go. Lovely. Perfect. Brilliant. Okay. So you won too hard, was it? Next up, Todd Grisham is backstage with John Cena. Uh, yeah. The only the only thing that I pulled out of this interview, the only thing, was that the first thing that John Cena said, which is, this is raw. It's totally different. Yes, it is. It's red instead of blue. That's, that's true. Um, there was some extra stuff. So Todd Grisham says he peed himself at school um, and everyone called him Todd Pissum for, yeah. for many years. Cena says he's been jumped a few times, calls Christian the creepy kid in school and says he's the new kid. And it goes on like this for some time. And I just gave up the will to continue to take notes on it. I thought that if they'd condensed this promo into about two thirds of the time, and to be honest, probably lift out the Todd Pissum stuff. I thought this was pretty good, actually. It gets off to a very rough start. The middle's very good. And then, like you said, it goes on a bit. Then I'm just like, come on. What's going on? Why are you still talking? Why are you still talking? It's all right. You can shut up now. But Cena 2005, isn't it? Yeah, he's the, he's the Hulk Hogan of the period. See, you know, for me, this promo was taking the piss on. Um, <laughs> it just wasn't great. That that line in of itself w- w- was just absolutely shocking. Although I, I, I did just imagine WWE trying to get away with that today. You'd have to be like Todd. You'd have to be Todd PP or, or something like that. Something childish. But <laughs> They would definitely yeah. do it as well. They definitely would do yeah. it. Oh, yeah. I mean... Who was it? There was somebody years ago pissed their pants in the in the ring or something. I can't remember. Spud, Rockstar Spud. Dear Lord. Anyway, story for another day. Um, yeah. No, no, it's not. That's yeah, not. yeah, is that? We'll cover that in episode three hundred and seventy-four. Oh, cool. All right. <laughs> I, I'm sure it was he was afraid of Seamus or something. I'm sure it was in a Survivor Series. He was afraid of Seamus and and allegedly pissed his pants at the thought of getting in the ring with Seamus. Or it might have been on a Raw, maybe. Oh I know, shocking. <laughs> but yeah, like I'm just this promo just it was Cena. It felt like he was like trying to purposely speak like a rapper, and it came across as so fake. So this is one of the many reasons at the time that I didn't like him. Not not great. At, at least his delivery was at least all right. So at least there was that. But yeah, otherwise, thumbs down. Yeah, I must say, I did find his accent quite grating. Mm. So it was a bit like, hang on, we know that's not how you talk. Yeah. And he, we even know that's not how he talks because he comes out with his little spiky hair and he says ruthless aggression. He doesn't go ruthless aggression, yo, <laughs> does he? Yep. But it's a very different presentation of john cena i mean not overall but they're just the lots of little bits that are very very different mm. about this john cena i mean obviously first thing is that he had to adapt when they went they went pg and they had to change the name of all his moves and the change change the name of even chain gang was was you know oh. deemed too uh, adult i assume for pg but um whatever maybe they just dumped it because it sounded shit but the point <laughs> is is that everything pretty much everything he did changed he lost the accent everything became more gaudy as they went into the pg phase so just yeah just it was quite interesting to see this as, as you said at the beginning of his mega mega push after this we got a hype video for edge versus kane including the gold rush tournament final where lita turns on kane helping edge win the title shot that came as a consequence of the winning of that, of that tournament she then tells kane that she never loved him and could never love a freak like him it also includes edge and lita's wedding where kane breaks through the ring and destroys the chapel set up in the ring or before tombstoning the priest <laughs> yeah that's the hype for this match matt 
give us your thoughts on the hype for the match because I I thought this was quite good. It, it was. I mean, it, it it was wrestling at his wackiest is probably the the best way I can describe it because it, it was without talking. You know, we'll talk about the Matt Hardy stuff that crops up later. But storyline specific, Kane Edge leader love triangle, wacky in and of itself. It, it just seems absolutely bizarre. But this for me, I mean, one of the reasons I particularly enjoyed the hype, leader turning heel and. How, how can I put it? Basically just acting like an absolute giant tart was great. Because no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could put it a hell of a lot worse. I could say it a hell of a lot worse, but that's the best way I can describe it. You just tarted it up and it suited the gimmick with Edge perfectly. They were just an absolute pair of slags. <laughs> it was... <laughs> <laughs> it was hey, great. It's not sexist. He's called them both slags. All right. <laughs> the thing is, I reckon if we carry, if we just let him carry on talking, he'll be calling them all sorts of stuff in about thirty <laughs> seconds. I turn it red as it is. Bloody hell! <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry. Shut at your slag. Get over it. So, aside, aside from from the fact that we use the c word regularly, and I, I and even then I avoided saying it, which is rare. Matt's very much not the 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 uh, swearer that we are. I think I think to be honest, old man, I think Matt grew up with was like slightly, probably not massively, but a slightly religious uh, family. I don't know. I, I get the impression that there's a there's a, Ooh, you know not, not 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 like you know not not like Jehovah's Witnesses or anything. Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe I've just massively offended you and you're, you're going to be upset with me now. But, you know, people who were went to church now and again and were respectable people and, and we're, we're just bringing him down. I mean, it, it is funny that at one point I did go to Sunday school. <laughs> See? See? I, do you know what? It's funny. I don't mind swearing at all. The C word is a big one. Like that's... I, I don't know a lot of people who regularly drop in the C word. So that did, one did he, did he just call us big cunts, old man? <laughs> Pretty sure. Pretty sure that's... That's what he just said. <laughs> of course, of course. The, the problem is, is the audio cut out, so it probably won't make it <laughs> in in the edit. So, sorry, to you just to what did he call us? I'm pretty sure he called us big cunts, like massive, cool. massive cunts, like well, cunt, cunt, cunt cunts, basically. That's what he called us. <laughs> Uh, is it basically so as he didn't call us tarts or more slags or slags because that's what, that's the big guns so he brings them out cunts don't mean nothing the thing is is when, when you said tarts I could see the anguish in your face where you're like I've got to finish this sentence and how do I finish it and it's the exact thing that would have been going through my head as well so they'd be like slags all right but it's actually deeply offensive <laughs> Like even even when you're talking about a wrestling character, and I would have had the anguish. Wouldn't have gone tart. Would have probably gone trollop. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't. No, I, I don't think trollop would have. Yeah, I don't think that would have sounded natural yeah. coming from me. But you try. I try to go with the, the least offensive term possible. But hey, like I yeah. said, I, I've just gone with slags now, basically. So, <laughs> <laughs> but they're but they're a pair of slags. Yes. not be around. They're not. It's not like he's singling singling out the woman or anything. No. They are a pair of slags. <laughs> It was just very, how could I, I don't know, just very smutty. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what it was. It was just, yeah, the edge and leader together was just very, it was just meant to be dirty and smutty. And that's exactly what it was. How have we gone from a podcast that is liberally using the word cunt to suddenly being like a little bit <laughs> uncertain about saying the word smutty? <laughs> <laughs> It's just the word that springs to mind. I see Edge and Leader together. That's just a load of smut, that is. The pair of them. <laughs> so, cool. oh, Edge God. and Leader together were absolute filth. That's, yes. that's what I take. 
But I also think Smutty's actually not a million miles away from what I'd say either. Yeah, but, but, yeah, but you're you're very old. Oh man. Well, that is true, yeah. <laughs> oh, they're about Smutty next door, they are. Anyway. Well, he's got a glass against the wall listening in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, I can barely hear it. No, I've actually got a stethoscope. <laughs> So I really enjoy this video. The weird distortion on Kate's face when he's talking was very strange, but it reminded me of, if you've seen Ghostbusters 2, Vigo, when he is, uh, when he's getting sprayed with the ooze and the things by the Ghostbusters with the old proton packs and his face is there and then just before he explodes it does all the distortion that was Kane's face and I was like oh I haven't watched Ghostbusters 2 for years I have to watch that it's an interesting one though old man because it's not a thing I remember very well simply because for me that film may as well end after the Statue of Liberty has got to the building and at that point we've had the best bit of the film so you may as well Mm. just give up at that moment your love yeah all that stuff. Oh, great stuff. Anyway, shut up about Ghostbusters 2, mate. I'm sick of you prattling on about it. Right, so... you slag. <laughs> right, you tart. <laughs> right, you pair of munchkins. What? Well, well, do, well, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tone it down even further. <laughs> so we've got the... Uh, they're doing their wedding vows. Those two harlots. Uh, Edge and Lita. <laughs> and uh, I didn't really catch any of it. The priest's face is amazing as they're doing it. And uh, Edge says, I might be the holder of the money in the bank, but I'm also the money in the sack. And he looks so pleased with himself, as I would as well, to have made that terrible joke. And I get the feeling, and I'm probably completely wrong, but I get the feeling they were probably trying to pop each other when they were actually doing this. And I thought that pair of young rapscallions did a great job. (laughs) And I must say... That's three videos that have got across the story of the matter. Obviously, the uh, the stories for the first two matches are quite woolly anyway. But I thought they did them very well. I thought the videos overall on this show were very good. Mm. It did feel like a product that was actually telling stories, which is not something yeah. I feel like it does anymore. So mm. that, that was nice. After this, we get the match between Edge and Kane. Uh, it's an 11 minute match or just over that and Edge wins it when he uh, well there's a big old end to this one hang on one second there's all kind I'm not going to even go through it I can't be bothered Snitsky basically runs in does a bunch of stuff Edge goes for a cover but Kane kicks out Snitsky gets back in the ring again jumps in but Kane goes for a chokeslam on him Edge tries to hit Kane with the money in the bank briefcase but misses and hits Snitsky instead then Kane chokeslams Edge for the pin so Kane gets the victory. Um, where do I, what Snitsky. Do I, where do I start with? Yeah, go on. You speak speak about Snitsky whilst I try and gather myself again. Snitsky. Yeah, Snitsky. Yeah. So he's not anywhere to be seen in the video package. He's not even in the background. I'm assuming that he then has a feud with Kane. Oh, no idea. I can't imagine so. Oh, he does, does he? Oh, he does. Oh, but that was cracking, wasn't it? Oh, it sucked. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, I always, I'll always like Snitsky because years ago, me and Tommy were watching a Battle Royal before a WrestleMania. It might be WrestleMania 21, actually. And someone evidently does something and he cannot stop laughing. He is just laughing hysterically. He's holding the ropes, almost doubled over, laughing hysterically. That's always that. And he can't keep character at all. So, well, then, if it was WrestleMania 21, still got his push, didn't he? Because he looks, he looks such a star when he comes out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say as well, so we've already had the promiscuity of Ed 
Edge and Lita. But there's also some not particularly funny or fun elements to this mm. whole storyline, which began way, way back in the previous year, which involves Snitsky and apparently Lita's pregnancy mm. with Kane's child. And it's it's just something that I think wrestling should just never go near just yeah. just don't go near it it's too emotive it's too serious it's too personal for people that have gone through it to to even contemplate it in, in a wrestling a is it? no in in any way you know and i think there are even politics is is more comfortable than this stuff this is just not should not be this should just not be part of wrestling because wrestling the other thing as i've said before i think we've spoken about similar things wrestling is incapable of doing this with the nuance and the sensitivity that is required when you're doing that kind of thing a drama show or even a comedy in the right context can do this really well can do it with a heartfelt in a heartfelt way you know and can be on the side of the person who is 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 gone through this wrestling can't do it and therefore it should just stay away from it entirely yeah i don't even know why you would either and also why people go along with it like i know to a certain extent like it's kind of like well he's the boss he the invincible man is the boss that's what he wants me to do then that's what i'll do when you're cane and edge and even Lita, you can turn around and be like, actually, no, we, we don't think this is a good way to go because it doesn't paint us in a good light. And also it's something that we just shouldn't be touching with a barge pole. Well, I wonder whether or not actually, you know, you say they should be, they, they, can, they can turn around and say, I'm not doing this. But obviously we know that Edge and Lita's sex show was something Lita and Edge were uncomfortable doing. Not, I think it was six months mm, after this point. Yeah. And neither wanted to do it. They said they didn't want to do it. And they were told in no uncertain terms, you've got to do it. So that maybe shows that they could have yeah. chosen not to do it, which is um, perhaps as, as bad as anything. You know, I think, you know, I think there is a degree to which that's probably as bad as any part of WWE's working practices, that you're giving somebody something creative to do that they will find very uncomfortable doing. And yet you're still forcing them to do it. It's pretty poor. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of felt the same in terms of I, I wouldn't really thought they, they could have gone. I mean, particularly Edge at that point. I, I still think to this day it's almost a miracle that he even had a WWE Championship reign to begin with because there were certain people who were definitely pushing for it to n- never happen. Um, so the, the fact that he got there is a miracle of itself. So I don't think he could have turned around and said no personally. But in terms of this match itself, I mean, to see Kane as the babyface in this type of role was really weird. You know, the the whole where he had the mask off, you know, the, the, the weird eye and, you know, he's properly meant to look like a monster. It, it didn't really feel that natural and it didn't really come across naturally it was just very awkward and sadly for Kane as well I think this was this was probably one of the last half decent things he did for a long period of time after this I mean he really struggled to maintain anything half decent I think for a good couple of years after so that kind of says it all really I mean for Edge it was kind of a placeholder well, while he had the money in the bank briefcase, which, you know, match quality, it, it was OK. It, it, it wasn't too bad. The, the, the story was, was as wacky as it was. It, it was entertaining enough. Yeah, it, it, it was, you know, a couple of minutes that it was fine. I mean, it, it wasn't the worst thing, but yeah, it was OK. What you said about Kane there is interesting because I think obviously what they'd done, they'd really done everything by this point, I think, that the character naturally could do within its within its lifespan they'd had Kane come in he was the brother of the Undertaker the Undertaker hadn't seen for however many years was revealed to be the son of Paul Bearer was then 
turned on by his father to for the undertaker to go with paul bear you know and going back with the undertaker he was then part of the corporation of vince man taking advantage of him because he was basically would go into an asylum if he didn't do vince mcmahon's bidding basically then they had you know him do the sympathetic tag team thing with x-pac and x-pac turn on him so they went through all that stuff turned him back into a monster and then they came back to unmasking him which basically removed the final part of the original character if you like and then had another sympathetic storyline where he's like this you know he's in in love with lita and then they've had this and and ultimately edge is going to come out as the bigger deal than kane from the from the feud what do you do with kane after you've done all of that there really isn't much to do this is a character as i've said before which was really designed to last about a year at most in the first place because he was basically coming in as the latest monster of the week for the undertaker to face and beat and just so happened that they had a dearth of stars and so he managed to maintain a level of stardom that probably wouldn't have happened otherwise so the fact they even got into 2005 and him still doing interesting things was pretty impressive my feelings on this match despite some of the story elements that i wasn't really a fan of is i thought this was a damn damn good bit of fun quite frankly thought it was a damn good bit of fun really quite enjoyed this and i say that as someone who at the beginning of this year said that edge would be my target for abuse over the course of the year but i'm giving him mvp of this show for the work that he does on this show and as part of this story so yeah really really uh appreciated this match a match i really did not expect to appreciate at all yeah i completely agree i just thought this was cracking good fun this is the beauty of one there being a very deep story going into it. They put a lot of work into this match, which I really appreciate. And it's been building for a while. You've got a cracking video package that they put together with the old, uh, with the old slags. I, 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 I couldn't fit in it, think of another word. But I ruined it. <laughs> That's disgusting. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, the crowd. I forgot about Chant- that. Chanting some share liter that I fortunately didn't write down. That's fucking horrible. I to did. the point where she turns around and she's bawling someone out. And Kane then throws Edge out the ring by her. And I think it's not shown on camera, but I'm pretty sure he basically tells some people to fucking watch their mouths because it's not nice. What, what was it, Matt? It, it, it was the chant of "She's a crack whore." Yeah, but there's you just, wanted, you just wanted him to say the word, didn't you, yeah. Matt? <laughs> there's something before that as well and it's worse and i couldn't remember what it was but yeah i wasn't a big fan of after that they fucking settled in and realized that this is actually a wrestling match well in the fact that it's in a wrestling ring and they actually they played their part in it as well because they, they pop for snitsky they pop for the briefcase they pop for kane looking like he's gonna choke slam lita it's just really well done if you're gonna have this kind of match on a card and you put this what we've watched stuff on this show where you've got a big build into a match and then you get to the match and you're like oh that's a bit damp wasn't it this is anything but this is soaking wet it's great just really enjoyed it I no, I'm, giving... Give, I, I'm giving Kane my MVP because yeah, this is arguably best match I've seen him have in a year that is after 2001 very specific but uh, yeah it makes yeah, sense yeah yeah I'm just trying to put my little time scale yeah I think so go on Kane I, I, I think that when you've got a story that's been so 
cartoonish but in a kind of adult way if you like it was almost like an episode of family guy quite frankly then i don't mind a little bit of silliness in the match and i think that mm. it suited the whole storyline really well i think also you've got to you have got to nod to the fact that you were going to have a near 30 minute match between triple h and batista to end the show and yeah. a very serious match between kurt angle and Shawn michaels still to come and this is a very decent way of making sure that the whole thing doesn't feel too intense and too dramatic this is a little bit of as i say a little bit of fun ahead of what will be some much more serious stuff coming up there's one other thing we haven't discussed as part of this match and one of the other things that the crowd chant which i don't think is what old man's referring to which is the we want matt and you screwed matt chants that are being uh being chanted at uh lita because obviously this is pretty much dead on the moment when everybody had found out about the fact that Lita had effectively been having an affair in real life with Edge behind Matt Hardy's back, which had subsequently led to, I believe, Matt Hardy being released from the company because of his reaction to the news and then being brought back in order to have a feud with Edge and making that real life situation into an on-screen storyline. So I figure we should just touch upon that at this point because it was pretty much in everyone's face at this point in time. It's all a shoot. <laughs> well, yeah. It's all completely real. I, f- I find it quite interesting in the sense that I don't understand what people expect from, you know, they talk about wrestling being very bad for relationships. And it must be, especially in an age when everybody's on the road a lot more. Now, I think these days people aren't on the road as much as they perhaps previously were you know back then they i think these days perhaps they do two house shows at the weekend and probably not the entire roster's there and it's probably you know and everyone seems to get a lot more time off i think in in modern pro wrestling but back then and for a very long time these guys were on the road for so long separated from partners matt hardy and Lita were on different sides of the roster lee and edge were together on the raw side of the roster there's an almost inevitability about this stuff happening to me when those conditions exist and so uh, yeah it just it makes again it kind of puts front and center that wrestling is just really not very good for you ultimately in general yeah. if you are a wrestler or a performer of some kind it's just not very good for you in any way physically or emotionally mentally whatever you want to talk about yeah you've just got to look at i mean he's very much the extreme but you've got to look at people like Ric flair haven't you mm. like this is a man who's almost died a couple of times one time through his alcoholism and he just can't stop can't stop trying to live that life where he drink all night shag all night and then try and do it all again the next day it's just nuts isn't it? Well, you were talking about earlier on Kurt Angle and the intensity that he mm. was showing now obviously about a year later they had to release him because they knew he was addicted to painkillers and he wouldn't go into a treatment facility to yeah to, to sort it out and in fairness to WWE I think they did in that respect do the right thing you know they've offered him treatment and then said you either take this treatment or we, we are going to be forced to let you go because we can't you can't wrestle for us in the condition you're in and he refused and they had to release him Angle would then live with a painkiller addiction for a long time and also suffer immense pain in his body throughout that period to the point where late in his TNA career there were reports of him being in pretty much agony up until the point where he walked through the curtains and then just turning it off and having a match that was a typically uh, brutal and physical Kurt Angle style match so yeah these are all these are all part of that whole that whole lifestyle thing well we've obviously seen it again and again with Jeff Hardy aren't we as well yeah which is the one like he's just Remember he did a, it was not long before he was released, he did a Broken Skull Sessions with Austin and he's talking about his family life and that he was clean and stuff like that and then, I mean, I don't know whether he was clean and whether 
that was all just a cover. But I think it was like two weeks later was when he walked up, walked away in that house show, just walked through the crowd. And apparently that was when WWE were doing the same, wasn't it? They were tr- trying to make him go to rehab and he just refused. Yeah. And then he went to the big white world that is AEW and now he's on it again. Very sad. Indeed. So to bring us back up, let's talk about what comes next because we get a high <laughs> We got a hype oh, video sorry. detailing the WrestleMania 21 match between Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels, where Angle wins. And then a backstage interview with Shawn Michaels by Todd Grisham. Michael says he wants Angle at 100%, uh, and he wants him 100% confident going into their rematch. It says their match at WrestleMania 21 was a classic, which is the story of his life. Now, the reason I brought this up, because obviously we've spoken about the match, but it's the concept here of the classic and the fact that this match seems to be sold on the premise that they're going to have another match, which is going to be great. It's not sold on any storyline or any personal issue, between the two necessarily there doesn't seem to be much in the video about that it seems to be solely sold on the concept of it being a great match now you've matt talked about this because you've said that this happened a lot in wwe through those years it's something that i when you said it before i was like i haven't noticed it that much but here it was very clear to me and it it, possibly i haven't noticed it because i wasn't watching during this period quite so heavily and it got me thinking about why i didn't mind it here where i've minded it in a lot of what we've talked about in the past because i've said most of AEW is built on this very premise is that the match is going to be really good the reason i didn't mind it here is because of two reasons first of all it feels like it's quite rarely done at this stage it's not like they're doing it for every show this is literally we've got two of the best wrestlers in the history of the industry about to have a match so it's going to be amazing we're not doing it for anything else on the show the other thing is this isn't the main event it's not even close to the main event there are two other matches here that are seen as more important to selling this show than Kurt Angle versus Shawn Michaels. And so again, for me, it feels just like a little bit of sprinkling of some kind of flavoring, a little bit of extra for you to buy this pay-per-view for. But the main selling point is the culmination of the feud between Batista and Triple H in a Hell in a Cell match and the personal war they've been through regardless of the match quality in the past. So that was why I didn't mind it here because I felt like, well, it's not front and centre. It's not the main selling point of the show and it's not common and it's between two people that are, it's not like they're saying, oh, it's, Triple H versus Shelton Benjamin is going to be an amazing match. It's, you know, two of the absolute best ever. I, I can see where you're coming from there. I mean, I can't remember if it was either the, the Raw before the show or perhaps it was two weeks out. But this was one of the most quickest setups for a pay-per-view match I can ever remember. Because I can still remember the segment. Angle got uh, brought over to Raw in the draft. I uh, came down to cut a promo on Triple H. And then literally Shawn Michaels comes down right at the end of it and says, hey, I notice you don't have a partner for vengeance. Let's go. And that was it. That that, that was the setup. And like I said, that was either the Raw before, perhaps it was two weeks before, but it was done super quick. But yeah, it, it, considering how celebrated the first match was, yeah, they, this didn't need a lot. I mean, and to be fair, the build to the first one as well, just touching on that really quickly, the build to the first one I thought was spectacular. So just to even remotely continue anything after that, I was all for. So yeah, this was great. So after the Kurt Angle Shawn Michaels match, we have John the Coachman backstage trying to interview Batista. Batista does not appear happy with the line of questions that's uh, being asked asked to him Batista gets angry when coach suggests he looks scared at the prospect of facing Triple H in a Hell in a Cell match. Batista says tonight will be for all the times Triple H tried to screw him over and that Triple H will have to kill him to beat him. Triple H then turns up and tells Batista that nobody beats him in Hell in a Cell. Then they have a little little set to, which is broken up by officials. And coach is hiding behind the sign, just (laughs) holding the microphone out, which I didn't like his commentary, but I fucking love that because he's been 
questioning, like, oh, you're scared, are you, Batista? And then he's, like, hiding behind this side. I actually thought, so Batista was never really, for my mind, any good at talking, really. And it took him a long time to, like, properly get that. I thought he actually cut a decent promo here. And I think that the, um, the like, okay. confrontational nature of the questioning by coach kind of really worked. It really said... And I also liked Triple H just turning up and being like, yeah. And then just being like, yeah. right. Yeah. And then him going, yeah. And then them physically going, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And then everyone coming around and going, no, 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 no. Yeah. yeah I, no. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you bloody start. But yeah. I, um, I thought this was pretty good, actually. It just sold the intensity, didn't it? It was like, fucking come on, they can't fucking wait. Yeah, we've I... got to watch Lillian Garcia and Viscera. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't mind this, but I don't like any time when they mention the idea that someone's going to kill someone else. This was a little bit different because it wasn't like he, Batista was saying, I'm going to kill you, which would have been silly. Although they do kind of play up to that in the match with Triple H doing his you know, choke thing, as we discussed. But still, I just think you're going to have to kill me. To, I don't know. I'm just not a fan of that. I just think it's silly. It's fucking pointless, isn't it? Because it's not going to happen, is it? That's the one thing. That's the one thing we know isn't going to happen <laughs> is that someone isn't going to kill someone, at least no. on purpose. Yeah. I tell you what it did remind me of, though. The old uh, Big Boss Man Undertaker from WrestleMania 15. Another when classic the, Hell in a Cell match. Yeah. <laughs> when The Undertaker hangs him. Oh, my God. It's so fucking it's terrible. terrible. You know what? I realised that's the first pay-per-view I watched live. Like, I actually watched oh. as it happened, WrestleMania 15. And I don't think I've ever gone back to watch it a second time. <laughs> So the the main event is good, but their matchup backlash. So Austin Rock is in the main event mm-hmm. for those who don't know, and their matchup backlash is significantly better and is right out there with their very best. And I couldn't tell you anything else that's on that show. It's not from memory. It's not a particularly good show. The the highlight, as I remember, might even be other than the main event. X Pac versus Shane McMahon, which uh, says it all, really. Well, yeah, when you're saying that anything with Shane McMahon, unless it's him getting walloped through some signs by Kurt Angle. <laughs> yeah. So, I'll tell you what, though. What a curtain switcher they had. Hardcore Holly defeating <laughs> Al Snow and Billy Gunn. Yeah, the bum is right in there. Okay, so we then get some after we got all the stuff with Lillian Garcia, Vasira, and Godfrey. Father. Sorry, the, who? Sorry, Vicera. 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 That's right. Yep. We then get a hype video for the WWE title match. Jericho introduces John Cena as the first draft pick on Raw, so we get to see that again. Uh, and then Christian and Tomko turn up. A fight breaks out between Cena and Christian. He then deals with both Christian and Tomko. Jericho then wants to be named number one contender, so he and Cena beat Christian and Tomko in a tag team match. And then Jericho attacks Cena after the match. Then the wheels are set in motion for a triple threat between all three, Cena, Jericho and Christian. This builds into their match, which is for the WWE title, John Cena defending against Jericho and Christian. It's just over 15 minutes and it ends when Cena pins Christian after an FU or an attitude adjustment prior to which he knocks Jericho down with Christian's legs. Uh, Matt, let's uh, let's go to you. What did you think? The, this was this was a really good uh, triple threat match. Uh, Got to be honest. Um, the, the one thing that I did sort of take issue with at the time and particularly watching the video package is that I felt there was more emphasis on the part of Jericho and Cena than Christian and to be honest particularly at the time as well 
Christian and Cena was pretty much that that was the main feud, at least for a while and leading up to the draft. You know, Christian was cutting promos on John Cena left and right. They were actually getting over. People were getting behind it and wanted to see Christian versus Cena. And then they ended up putting Jericho in it as a triple threat. Now, doesn't mean that, you know, it was the worst decision in the world, but... I still think they should have gone with the solo match, but the match itself was still pretty good. I mean, anytime, you know, you got Christian Jericho together, I, I think, you know, when they're together, whether it's opponents or as a team, they, they work together really well. It was good. I do think, again, at the same time, this was the, the sort of, uh, as we said earlier, the, the start of the mega push of Cena. I think this is where some of the quote unquote smart fans come into it. And it was the odd on occasion smattering of booze. I think you could hear for Cena quite light but I, I could hear some every now and again but yeah like I said as, as a match it was good um I, I do I like I said I do think that it should have been one-on-one but again it was good worked well together quite quite enjoyed this one well it's pretty hot because I think the video is very good but also Jericho comes down he's singing his music for a little bit he doesn't do the whole song it's a bit disappointed but he does sing a little bit of it Christian is wearing a very interesting top when he comes down to the ring so it's kind of like a jacket but there's a it's a jacket but that's cut off and then there's a big c so you can just see his belly very strange it's not some i'd wear to be honest but i thought this was really very good indeed i thought as far as triple threat matches go this is right up there because it's relentless the pace is relentless but it never felt forced and what they didn't rely on too much was the whole and we've talked about this on this podcast before where it's like Jericho and uh, Christian might want to have a little like couple of minutes in the ring so what we're going to have to do is one of us is going to have to punch Cena he's going to have to fall out of the ring and he's going to have to lie down for like half an hour didn't get a lot of that in here and I just really I like the fact that it felt very chaotic in there you knew who was winning like there's no way that Cena's dropping the belt and I think the fact that it was so chaotic and so relentless in its pace just really played on the fact that they're just trying to make this a very good match and I think they succeeded there's a lovely powerbomb superplex spot which I very much I always enjoy to be honest it just looks really very good but yeah this match I'll give it top marks but a couple below that <laughs> I gotta agree I gotta agree I thought this was stunningly good given that it's a triple threat match given that Johnson mm. is in it I thought it was very very good um, really really enjoyed it I think maybe they added Chris Jericho because of what you just said old man which is that it was so obvious that, that Cena wasn't going to win that they thought they might con a few people by making mm. it a triple threat match with two heels in but I, I also think that probably no one fell for that and so therefore probably having John Cena just go over Christian would have been a better use of everybody's time here which he did anyway but he did it with Jericho in the match so it just it just made it less impactful but overall I thought yes very very little to dislike about this really really decent classic in the middle of this match Earl Hebner throws out Tomko massive massive yes. reaction why is it that every single time a referee throws anybody out no matter what the quality or the importance of the match the fans absolutely fucking love it it's just it's a guaranteed pop for you there you should do it once every single show did you notice because I noticed this so he does it the first time he don't wind his arm up Ooh. and the crowd they react and they're but they're a little bit and i don't know whether tomko is like nah that's not enough <laughs> and then he like walks around the ring tomko so that he's facing the ring but the ramps behind him 
and then I'll have no fucking winds up, and that's when the crowd come unglued. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, I just thought it was generally very strong all the way through. Some really nice moves, some really nice moments. Uh, I, I even enjoyed the double five-knuckle shuffle bollocks. You know, mm. I just thought even that was pretty decent. Uh, so, yeah, I, I just really quite shocked by how, how much I enjoyed this, but I really mm. did. I thought it was a really good match. So that's about it for the show, other than an advert for the Road Warriors DVD box set, which I know Old Man went out and purchased straight away. Well, which has apparently got four hours of matches. <laughs> you don't need four hours of robot matches. And to be honest, you just need one five-minute match, and you have seen everything you need to yeah. see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not meaning to be nasty, but they, you know, they were very much an act to sell tickets of their yeah. time. They weren't mm. an act to watch four hours worth on a DVD of their matches back to back. I would struggle to watch four hours of Rey Mysterio Jr. at his peak yeah. for four hours in a row, let alone the road. <laughs> Warriors. So no, uh, I'm not not one that I'm particularly interested in. Oh, uh, Matt, you better cancel that Christmas present then for Tinky. <laughs> <laughs> so let's give our overall thoughts and our rating out of ten. Let's go with you, old man, first. Well, I gotta say, I had a cracking time watching this. The one bum note on this is the Lillian Garcia thing. I think without that, this isn't far off one of the best shows I've watched any. <laughs> just in terms of how much I enjoyed it, I just really, I think it kind of comes with the expectation of kind of like, I don't really know what this is going to be. You've got Connie O'Shaun Benjamin, thoroughly enjoyed that. Victorian Christy Heavy isn't particularly very good. Doesn't have stance welcome, which is crucial. Kane and Edge, really enjoyed. Michael's angle is fucking brilliant. The triple threat match is brilliant. Batista Triple H I really enjoyed. What's not to like? Part of a viscera <laughs> for putting hoes before wives. But we won't let that ruin the show. I'm going to give this. You know what? I wish we did halves because this be- I'm going to give this a seven because I just had a crack. I, mean, I sat down. I can't remember what day it was. Maybe Friday. I sat down to watch this. And I knew I had some time, and I was like, oh, if I get on all right, I might watch up to it. I watched everything up to the main event, and then I had to stop because I had to go somewhere. And I would have happily watched the whole show all in one go, and had a lovely old time doing it. And this is one of those little sleepers that I wasn't expecting, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It won't make me watch any more 2005 WWE, <laughs> because I think I've probably topped out. But you know what? Vengeance. Lovely. Matt. This show, for me, was just as good as I remembered. I I remember thinking it was pretty great. Shock for me, it was still pretty great. Um, Like I said, I I give my match of the night, Michael's an angle, MVP of the night was Triple H. And I felt this show was good enough to warrant an 8 out of 10, which may be one of my highest ratings yet, I think. I think it is. I would say that my rating would be an 8 if the main event had been better. I didn't particularly love the main event. I I thought it was fine, but it is the main event and I've always said that that is key to the rating, in my opinion. I'm giving it a 7, but I would would have given it more if that main event had just gone another notch up because underneath, that triple threat match is very, very good. Shawn Michaels versus Kurt Angle is excellent. uh, Edge and Kane is is a really enjoyable slice of (laughs) of wrestling Shelton Benjamin Carlito is very decent a very good opener the only as you said the only, only bum note really is Lillian Garcia and then the five minute women's match which is it's five minutes whatever who cares it's done mm. isn't it so it was a really good show and I yeah I just I think at that main event just been a notch higher we would be looking at eight from me as well and that'd be the first eight i've given a show for a very long time in fact i think it might even stretch back to god elimination chamber 2011 which we covered in february so um, a long, long old time since I've, I've rated a show that highly. So, yeah, I mean, not not a lot, as you said, old man, not a lot to dislike. 
quite frankly. And another thing that stood out to me was, I guess, just the star power that we're talking about here. Triple H Batista, the main event, John Cena and Chris Jericho in another world title match, Kurt Angle and Shawn Michaels, Edge and Kane underneath. I mean, it's quite stacked. Compare that to a lot of stuff of now or even from anything from the last 10 years or so, I think you'd find you struggle to find a, a show with quite so many stars on it. Well, especially just like what is a b-level pay-per-view yeah that's true yeah just completely throw away the one the last one that raw superstars were on before SummerSlam. it's yeah. kind of like right let's let's get there and then yeah just very enjoyable stuff maybe i'm wrong maybe matt's right maybe 2005 is where it's at <laughs> well it was where it's at i mean it's a long time ago <laughs> now so I hey to be fair or, it might still be where it's at well it also matt probably thinks it was only a couple of years ago so um <laughs> anything to consider how dare you, you rapscallion. <laughs> okay, so that just about brings us to the end of everything. So I'm going to say thank you very much today for joining us, old man. Thank you very much. And uh, just to let you a little insight into uh, 2005, the, one of the best-selling albums was The Emancipation of Mimi by Mariah Carey. And you've got Breakaway by Tinky's favourite, Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> Kelly Clarkson and, is an absolute legend, I'll have you know. Especially that fucking that album, because that's the one with uh, what's it face, isn't it? What's the song? I don't know the Christmas song that you. No, no, no. It's got to be the one with the really good Kelly Clarkson song. What's what is it? Oh, it's gonna do my head in. I'll, I'll look it up now. <laughs> I don't know. And there's also an album apparently called Feels Like Today by Rascal Flats. I mean, I think 2005 might be the place to be. But anyway, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. All you gotta do is rate. If you would remember, Ken Patera. It's uh, Since You've Been Gone for those keeping score. Since um, You've Been Gone. Yeah, it's an absolutely brilliant song. Uh, and uh, thank you, Matt, for your contributions as well. Pleasure as always, gentlemen. Happy to be back. We will hey, be hey, back. Hey, Matt. Matt, can you not offer a Kelly Clarkson song or album title? I, I can't offer an album title. Kelly Clarkson song, I do like Since You've Been Gone. Um, Beneath These Hazel Eyes. Wow, that's I the next. That. that was that was the next single apparently after since you've gone. I don't I don't remember it, but I thought you were gonna go with like doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Nah, nah, that like one. That. This has been the random wrestling review. We'll all be back again next week. You'll be very pleased to know with more Kelly Clarkson, I'm sure. But until then, take care. Bye.